0: Yeah, you know, I mean, it's fine. We and we bent the rules there, and I'm fi- happy to bend the rules for for South Park.
1: Man, we we're bending the rules harder than uh, that one girl's back got bent in Blair Witch. Uh, <laughs>
0: and that one guy's back got bent on at the end of Paranormal Activity three.
1: Oh yeah, you know this this episode was back breaking work, but
0: yeah, man, we really had to bend over backwards to make this one work.
1: But uh, you know, it was a it was a snap.
0: I will show you these seven found footage films, and then. I will break you. (laughs) The Big Show.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a
0: spooky
1: episode of Talking (laughs) During the Movies. (laughs) The show where two Jaggons talk about new movies, boo movies, (laughs) (laughs) movies. (laughs) I'm Mike. And I'm, I'm James. <laughs> and uh, and this would be episode number fifty nine. Mike and James two the startling. I'm so startled. <laughs> if you uh if you don't don't catch the reference it's uh it's okay. We're uh we're not entirely sure either.
0: We're we're two jackoffs, okay? You don't have to get our references.
1: Yeah, no. Um, but uh, we we will be handling some, uh, some startling material this episode. Uh, you may have recalled that for the past, uh, oh, I don't know how long, James, about uh, two, three months?
0: Yeah, something like that. Longer,
1: maybe. Uh, we've been teasing a uh, special found footage episode of Mike and James uh, talking during the movie. Not that uh, we ourselves will be doing a found footage episode, but that we will be reviewing found footage films. I feel it is, is important to make that distinction. A found I still think
0: a found podcast, would found footage be.
1: podcast, might be actually. There's an idea. Do like a horror podcast. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like a found
0: found podcast. Uh, wow, well,
1: might actually be kind of. Maybe we should frame this whole thing like we are recording this out in the woods.
0: Yeah, let's just let's just restart here.
1: Let's restart everything. Recording <laughs> it out in the woods, and we're talking about the legends of some of the greatest found footage horror films of all time, and uh, slowly. A monster picks us off one by one meaning you know two and then uh they find they find this podcast abandoned near an uh, near a desolate campsite
0: <laughs> so i am really excited for this episode because i this is kind of I, i'm not i'm not uh, being braggadocious here this is a shut, a, shut up trump god damn <laughs> but this was my brainchild this episode <laughs> and i Made Mike go through all of these all these movies <laughs> that I put up as like seminal found footage we, films.
1: When will they stop, James?
0: When will they <laughs> stop? We were originally going to do what I thought was was eight and a half, but I miscounted. It was actually only seven and a half films. Oh, right. um, okay. And then we we've actually dropped the half. So instead of reviewing eight and a half films, and then uh, Fellini's eight and a half. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to review seven found footage films and then the movie seven. Uh oh.
1: Ooh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what
1: is in the box?
0: What's in the box?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, seven's Seven's actually a surprisingly good movie to watch around Halloween. Um yeah, really. But uh yeah, so we 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 did this. This was a long haul, and uh, we're recording this much later than we normally do. This is a Saturday night. Uh, Saturday this is
0: night.
1: This is what I, we're doing. I, I, I.
0: No? No, no. S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y. Hey. No. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> God damn it. I'm stuck with you for, like, seven movies.
0: <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're going to try to do this quickly, more quickly than you would expect it to be. We've successfully grouped them up into three different categories, which is part of the reason why we dropped the half-film Safe Haven, which I recommend everyone see. It's the longest short in VHS2, which is on Netflix, starts about 40 minutes. It's amazing. That being said, it really doesn't fit any in any of these categories, and so it doesn't lend itself to discussion among the others. So that's why it was dropped, but hopefully it'll make sense and we'll have a more cohesive episode this way. So we're yeah. going to review, we're going to start with the most recent and review uh, Blair Witch and the Blair Witch Project. And I say review, but we're most mostly talking about these movies. We want to sort of tackle what found footage can bring to both cinema and to horror and, and, you actually had a better description of this than me, so you can go ahead.
1: <laughs> sure. So um, James is more familiar with this style of filmmaking than I am, and from a distance I've always been opposed to it. But I kind of took this, this project, experimental episode, whatever, as a, a chance to explore some fundamental questions about this style of filmmaking. Um, because, frankly, if it wasn't effective at doing something better than any other uh, – better than any other horror style it wouldn't be so popular and pervasive today um and also just to you know after seeing more films uh in this genre myself um particularly ones that are considered some of the best in that genre uh are my own uh do my own opinions on it shift so um so these three groups of films actually work pretty well i think to um Illustrate the several different ways that found footage can be used in a horror film, uh, both successfully and unsuccessfully, and uh, what each one emphasizes and does uh, better than than the others. Each of these are very different: uh, Blair Witch, Wreck, and uh, Paranormal Activity. Each one of those uses found footage very differently. So, um, so part of what we're going to explore isn't necessarily just are these movies good or bad. But uh, we're going to try and tie all of our discussion back to the central thesis of you know, how do they use found footage and uh, in what ways is that effective, or at least are they trying to be effective. Um, is that a, a fair summation there?
0: Yeah, definitely. And we're because it's such a project, such a Blair Witch project, we're not uh, yes. doing any news, of course. That would just be crazy, and I'm, I don't really I, know what important happened besides I'm, I'm
1: what actually I'm most th-
0: angry about. <laughs> Well, that's not movie news. But, no, it's talking uh, politics during the movie, which uh, is strictly hey, forbidden.
1: Uh, no, we're not doing that. Um, God damn it. I'm pretty sure that's like rules one, two, and three in our unwritten code. But uh, no, I mean, I'm really happy that nothing. I feel like so, like we're going to become aware of something huge after we're done recording this. But as far as I know, nothing huge or gra- or earth shattering happened. And I'm really happy about that because otherwise <laughs> we'd be kind of stuck. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, just to continue, we are doing Blair Witch and Blair Witch Project first because it's the most recent, it's the, and it's sort it's, of like the OG. It's really. the Alpha it's the alpha and the Omega. Yeah. And this is
1: like a conversation.
0: Is the, the Blair first. Witch Project yeah. is what put found footage on the map. Yes. So it seems only fitting that uh, we start with that one first. Yes. And especially yeah. given that Blair Witch, its sequel, is the most recent movie we're going to be talking about. Sure. And then in the middle... We're going to be doing two of the Paranormal Activity films, Paranormal Activity 1 and Paranormal Activity 3. I'll probably go into later why we skipped two, but it's not important. And then our, our Mac Daddy segment is going to be a discussion, and examination of Wreck, which this is a Spanish found footage film. Uh, Quarantine, which is the American remake of that Spanish found footage film. The American shot-for-shot shot remake, I should say. And then wreck two the sequel to the spanish film by the same directors and you if you've heard found footage horror discussions or read them online you've likely read about wreck and quarantine and we're gonna hash that out (laughs) in greater detail i feel than many others and wreck two i really want to talk about it one because i really like it i'm gonna come out with that and two because i don't think many people have seen it um and I, I always miss it in discussions of, well, of these two films. And no one really brings up, uh, of Wreck and Quarantine, no one really brings up Wreck 2. Or even in, like, great found footage or great horror films, Wreck 2 doesn't really come up. I think it's kind of a gem. So, And it also, as we pointed out earlier, it, it tackles found footage in a much different way. Or in a different way.
1: Mm-hmm. Which is the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's either
0: a different way or it's, it's like, a different way, you know? It, yeah.
1: I, I i hear you man uh those are those are two of the same thing
0: okay um, thanks man
1: uh yeah i uh i'll come out with it two-rec two was my favorite of, of that entire series um uh, probably
0: fight. <laughs> what cool i'm sorry do you disagree no that was that was you didn't you know that was my opinion about it before yeah i thought
1: it was that's why I, that's why i was surprised oh you were going like what
0: yeah yeah like what well, uh, because this is oh, the first God. time i've heard you say that yeah <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, no. I mean, because well, Wreck is the one I had uh, some knowledge of, and I only, and, and actually, I feel like most people only know about Wreck, um, and I'm not, I'm not being like dismissive of it by saying this because the filmmakers have said this too. Uh, most people only know about the original Wreck because of quarantine, um, and they actually took it, uh, um, like and they were grateful that uh, this American film lent more uh, prestige to their movie. And, uh probably i probably like allowed I, them to make wreck two to be honest probably allowed them to make wreck two and uh we're all the all the richer for it but i this is not an endorsement of quarantine i will have my piece to say about that a little bit later on but we're getting ahead of ourselves i think
0: we definitely uh, so, are I mean, do you want to just jump in to play yeah, which project yeah,
1: let's just let's just head on into, into the woods here um
0: <laughs> no so, it's not called the woods anymore mike
1: ah uh, shut up that was a ruse <laughs> So the original Blair Witch project is uh, it was released in 1999 and uh, is I think to this day considered the first uh, first film to really utilize viral marketing. It, uh, it is. I mean yeah no one was uh, really I mean there wasn't really much there wasn't really as much use of
0: the internet back. No, this film came out in 99. So when something was on the internet in 1999 it was true <laughs> and yeah. especially when you have a website that's not really not really pitched as a as a film marketing it's pitched as a true to life description of events that took place in the movie so and then events surrounding it events before events after It was also paired with a mockumentary, and the director went so far as to forbid media appearances by the actors uh, around the film's release. So all of these things made it insane. The
1: the IMDb pages for the actors actually listed them as uh, missing, presumed dead. Yeah. (laughs) When this movie came out. I don't know how they pulled that off. (laughs) I know. I looked, like, just the more I looked into, because I was not, I was, what, seven years old? No, no. Yeah,
0: I mean, I had heard about this movie. I been, was
1: eight. Uh, I was eight when Blair Witch. No, no, no I was seven. <laughs> Sorry, when Blair Witch came out, and I, I, I wasn't really aware of it except I had heard the name. Um, and my only exposure to it before being an adult was I saw it on TV once, uh, just just clips of it, and it scared the shit out of me because I had no idea it was a horror film. I thought it was actually like a, a like a Nightline special or something about like the, this documentary footage found in the woods. And even even after this it had been like you know well known that uh, this movie was you know just uh, was fictitious was uh, designed to look as real and believable as possible uh, using viral techniques but was in fact a fiction film I could not sleep after that for a, a while I didn't watch the whole thing but just from what I did see it was like unbelievably unsettling to me um, so it, it, it was a
0: cultural phenomenon for sure yes. it was and it wasn't just the the viral marketing campaign that, it, that lent itself to it is that it was a viral marketing campaign paired with a style of filming that really hadn't been popular or it, it had been used before. Uh, I think four or five films, the first of which was cannibal Holocaust, but still no one had really, even though those movies were out and they were underseen, they were made in other countries, things like that. So this, because no one had ever seen a movie like this, they thought, well, it must be real, you know, if you're showing it to me this way. And if there's all this other information around it, there was, as I said, a mockumentary, which was well, just looked like a documentary on Sci Fi, on the Sci Fi channel about it. I also think we have to contextualize uh,
1: what the film landscape looked like in America at this time, because this was at the end of the 90s when, I mean, if, if there was a. I mean, the, the 90s was the time for. Uh, independent filmmakers to blossom i mean that that's when uh you know richard linklater and quentin tarantino they all started coming out with uh i I mean quentin tarantino got studio deal first but he he did a personal film initially they worked on on super eight they worked on whatever film stock they could get a hold of and most of these people were video store geeks or something like that this is kind of the age of you know uh, of you know who would uh, people who would in a you know previous decade be just considered dorks or outcasts uh, these people got to become filmmakers and have a cinematic voice in the 90s. Um, Blair Witch I feel is almost a uh, the ultimate culmination of that and uh, actually watching it now um, I was kind of afraid that it would have been dated because of that but mm-hmm. I-, I actually think that the Blair Witch project has only become a stronger film since it came out. And I say that because it is really interesting to view the Blair Witch project as not just a a horror movie, but, uh, almost like a, almost like a love letter and almost like a a goodbye letter to, uh, analog filmmaking. And, uh, that's kind of what I love because this is coming right at the, uh, I mean, this is coming out the same year that Star Wars: uh, The Phantom Menace comes out, and in yeah. the 2000s, you're going to see an explosion of, you know, things of, of big-budget synthetic computer-generated studio filmmaking, and the the days of the grainy Super 8 movies of the 90s are going to be long gone. It, this is almost like the, this is almost like the swan song of that film movement, and I think that as much you know, as as much as it works as a horror film, Blair Witch Project works. Really well as an actual student. Pro- I mean, it's not a student project, but as just kind of, I don't know, just just highlighting that love of nitty gritty,
0: get out there and make the movie filmmaking. Um, I fucking loved it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting reading of it. I have to say, because it not, I don't, I don't think I've ever read that sort of that sentiment come up in discussion about the movie. Of course, it's all about. The, the horror aspects of found footage. You know, and I, sure, I do hear sure. a little bit about and, Independent because at the time it was the most profitable movie of all time. Oh, and- yeah. Well, it cost
1: like $60,000 to make and it grossed over $200 million.
0: Yeah, $200 million.
1: Um, Unfucking un- un- believable. Um, and, I mean, those things aren't totally unrelated. I think a, a large part of uh, the Blair Witch Project making me reflect on that is how convincingly this film is actually constructed. I, and, and the the directors went through, uh, I think a pretty rigorous process to find, uh, young actors who could improv convincingly. And I think that this film is all the better for it. Um, uh, the three actors in here, uh, were, I believe not, I I don't believe they had acted in anything before and none of them have really acted in much since. And in fact, even their, their names in this movie are their actual names. I mean, they went, they, 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 try to construct as little around it as possible. And even the the initial screenplay they were presented, they were presented with was, I think, I think the first 35, uh, excuse me, the first 35 pages were just uh, uh, descriptions and vague descriptions at that of what was literally supposed to be happening, but with no dialogue written for them. So they had to improv a lot of it.
0: Well, yeah, um, but that's part of the reason why, that, that's another, that's part of the reason why everything feels so, real is because they're not reading from lines these actually and these people a lot of people don't don't know this these people were actually being quote-unquote terrorized in the woods
1: by they the were. directors they, <laughs> they got directions wasn't it like for like via messages and milk bottles
0: yeah they would get like notes in the morning somehow of like where the scene where the scenes were going to go um but yeah during nights when when there was like noises and shit happening the that was them doing it. <laughs> the right. filmmakers were out there just messing with them and giving, you know, that was like their cue to react. Well, and that's the key here. It's um, because this
1: is this. I mean, what this is frequently described as a psychological horror film, and um, while we'll get to this in more detail later, I de- I definitely don't think that that label can be aptly applied to Blair Witch. Uh, the Blair Witch Project uh, absolutely is primarily a psychological horror film. Mm-hmm. It is not. It has relatively, I mean, there's literally no Blair Witch in it. Uh, physically, you see nothing, um, and even the supernatural stuff that occurs is largely unseen. Uh, it, it comes very sporadically. I feel like the the you know most of what is supposed to unsell you in this film is this really convincing footage of filmmakers losing their minds in the woods, um, and you know almost like you know just kind of going to the edge of their own sanity to complete a passion project that they set out to, to make. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I kind of view, I, I just, I couldn't help the, the, you know, meta film viewer that I am couldn't help, but look at it in the same way that a lot of people have kind of, you know, reconceptualized inception as a metaphor for filmmaking. I kind of just, I mean, Blair Witch is literally about filmmaking, but I, I couldn't help but view it primarily through that lens. Um, and, uh, yeah, so maybe, maybe I love it more as that kind of uh, that kind of meta commentary than I do as a horror film, which is why maybe you can uh, provide more light there. But that's how I, I viewed it. And God damn it, if I don't just think it's, you know, one of the most you know refreshing things to watch in, you know, especially today when, uh, you know, it seems like Hollywood is unable to even give two shits about a project that is this cheap and shows you so little and it, and, and looks, you know, this, uh, bare bones, um, I do kind of long for you know the the time in the film culture when this could be a huge mega hit.
0: Yeah, a lot of people have called, you know, well obviously Blair Witch is the the 2016 Blair Witch is the sequel to the Blair Witch project. I've sort of been seeing it though as the movie version of the Blair Witch project. Yeah. If that makes sense. I mean it's 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 very thorough. I mean say what you want about it, but it's very thoroughly a movie, you know. And I I actually wrote an article on Film School Rejects about that you can't really expect it to be anything more than that at this stage. Found footage is... We know what it is. You know, it's... it's, No found footage film ever is going to have the same effect that the Blair Witch Project did. None. It's never going to happen. No, of course not. And so Blair Witch is a movie. And as I said... Whether or not whether or not you you like it or don't like it, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it because that one is. I think when we do talk about it, it is going to function more as a more more as a review. But the Blair Witch Project is it's sort of it's hard to just characterize it in that. You know, of course, it's like found footage, which is supposed to mimic a documentary, but at the same time, it's a movie. It's really hard to characterize it in cinematic terms, though, which is why I really like that you're you brought up this angle of it as a this strange entity of an independent film.
1: Yeah. Um. And I mean, I don't want to like because the thing I I didn't want to. I, I went in consciously, uh, not wanting to give it brownie points for being the first, um, and. I, I don't think I, I it, you know, it, I am thoroughly convinced that it is probably the most effective use of found footage I've ever seen. Because I think that the filmmakers knew that they had to they had to sell it to the audience. That they couldn't take anything for granted in terms of this filmmaking style catching on. So in a sense, being first, I think, does help it um, because it, it motivated the filmmakers to make extra efforts uh, to... You know, increase how to make it as convincing as possible, and uh, and you know, to even, I mean, even showing as little as possible, uh, I think really went a long way in emphasizing, you know, the state of minds of the characters. I feel like this is one of the like, it's kind of the horror film that represents the like a huge shift in horror from being about the monster or whatever's plaguing the characters to being about the breakdown of the characters themselves. Um, And I like, I mean, fuck, you still have the most memorable shot from the movie. And it's kind of crazy that the Blair Witch Project has memorable shots, but it's, uh, (laughs) it's Heather, the directors, you know, looking at the camera, her nose just dripping profusely and, and just basically filming her uh, apology and, and, you know, saying she's going, you know, she's going to die and telling her parents that she loves her. And I mean, it's, it, it, it's more, more than just being like this film still that's always used to market it. It's kind of like the, that's almost like the mission statement of what the movie is about. Mm-hmm. Get a, get an ugly, like, you know, unfurnished, you know, just, just bare bones view of these people going losing their fucking minds in the woods and really focus on it. And, and sincerely like they're real people.
0: Um, well, I mean, look, l- less this year, um, m- my favorite horror film has still is still The Witch, sure <clears throat> by by Robert Roger,
1: right Robert Rod, Roger Robert Egers. Eggers Robert
0: Eggers. <laughs> oh, I'm like it. it's either I always get him confused with Roger Ebert, of course, because their names are similar. So <laughs> so Robert Eggers. Now it, that film has been called a throwback to a lot of things. You know, Stanley Kubrick's Shining is probably yes. a um, a big example. But mm. the best part in that movie. Is, is, uh I think his name is Ralph Inneson, isn't it? Ralph Inneson, yeah. Yeah, who pays, plays the father. Him breaking down and finally admitting and asking for forgiveness, admitting that he's the one who got his family into this situation because of his the sin of pride. He's, he's, he's in, infected with the filth of pride. And it's it's a it's set up beautifully throughout the movie and it plays out so well that is almost the payoff of the movie and you know what sure. that is a throwback to this exact scene we're talking about in Blair Witch yeah, yeah. where well, the entire movie has been breaking her down and challenge challenge her psych, on a psychological level and this is the culmination of that
1: yeah it's kind of interesting because like you look back to look back to like the 70s and 80s horror films and the stars of those movies are the memorable. We don't remember the characters. We don't remember the people who get get slaughtered because they're kind of inconsequential. We remember the the ones doing the slaughtering, the murderers and the monsters. We remember yep. Leatherface. You remember Freddy, Michael Myers, uh, Jason. Like those were the reasons people went and saw those movies. Um, I feel like post Blair Witch, it's always the the thing we haven't really changed. What is scaring us it's always you know a demon or a zombie or something like that but the but, but because we're, we're so familiar with those as cultural constructs we've like almost shifted the attention to the characters and i feel like blair witch is the genesis of that in addition to all the other you know the more literal forms of horror that it gave birth to i think it also kind of helped uh, realign our focus in what we look for in horror movies even in like it follows one of our favorite you know films of last year i mean the 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 what the demon or whatever it is the entity is never even really given a name we don't it's got no personality you don't know anything about it it's basically a plot device it's a metaphor to explore things about the characters and about growing up and adulthood but it in and of itself as a character doesn't matter um and please don't misunderstand me i think that this is a positive change in well, <laughs> i think that it's better to focus on the human element of your story because that's what actually is supposed to connect with the audience because otherwise you get what Roger Ebert just called dead teenager movies where unlikable characters go out into the middle of the woods and get indiscriminately slaughtered and no one cares. And you just kind of go there to see how creative the kills can be. Um, I feel like, you know, while that form of horror is kind of mutated by like the Eli Roth school of horror, um, I feel like the general trend of the genre is maybe shifting away from that. And I don't know if you can draw a direct line between that and Blair Witch Project, but uh, I do. I don't know. It's kind of interesting to note that as kind of being a, a, a at least a potential origin for that, uh, for that shift.
0: Now uh, I don't. I'm, I'm not at all going to jump ahead to our second segment of this, but I do want to bring it up because sure. w- while you, while you are right about the Blair Witch's influence on horror and sh- marking a shift. To the more human aspects of it Because that's entirely what this is As for, as for found mm-hmm. footage though Even after the Blair Witch Project It didn't really catch on Until Paranormal Activity That's that's true I mean it was Paranormal Activity Came out in film festivals The same year that Wreck came out in Spain um, But it was Paranormal Activity really That, that Launched this and spawned Scores Of of copycats trying to cash in on it and successfully cashing in on it because found footage is a cheap genre to do, and so it's almost guaranteed to make a profit. There are some movies that are too small to fail. True.
1: I mean, uh, The New Blair Witch by Adam Wingard, it's technically considered a financial failure, uh, even though, or, or I'm sorry, a financial disappointment, I think, is a better word because it didn't make as much movie as was projected, and I still think it's already made about four times its budget.
0: It's made almost six times its budget. I'm I sorry, just almost checked six. it up
1: there you go um yeah so it's still i mean even the films that are considered lesser successes are still i mean blowouts this would be a blowout if it was a you know a harry potter movie or i mean like if if this was a a movie that the studio had spent about three about about 200 million dollars on budget wise and uh walked away with five times six times its budget uh, they they would be happy with that more than happy um so it's almost just, like, little risk uh, uh, little risk and sizable reward. Uh, yeah, you know, and I
0: think, too, that Lionsgate wasn't really putting all their eggs in this basket anyhow. Like, people are calling it a disappointment, but I don't think Lionsgate was expecting this to be, you know, well, the next Blair Witch project.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird because... So, can we use this as an opportunity to shift into Blair Witch? Yes, or? definitely.
0: I think okay, we've really great. talked about it, although... Um,
1: and we can go back to Blair Witch Project 2 in reference in, in conversation with Blair Witch. It's not like I mean,
0: if I, if I talk about a few more things, will you be re- to remember your point? Because I don't want yeah, it, that to be lost. Yeah, yeah go for it. Yeah, go for it. Uh, I wanted to talk about the, the horror aspect because, yes, a lot of it is psychological, but there is a lot woven into the, the plot of the Blair Witch Project and, and the dialogue talking to the people in the beginning and throughout mm-hmm. the movie itself. It lends itself to a really good horror payoff at the end, uh, which is, of course... Uh, the other most famous scene, the, the mm-hmm. most famous shot, is when she gets down to the basement and then just sees the person whom she'd been following
1: standing, standing
0: in the part. corner, which was referenced earlier in the movie. I think a few times, um, mm-hmm. which is a, someone who's, but someone who's Rustin Parr, someone who was brought up in Blair Witch on several occasions, having made children stand in the corner while he murdered the other one. So when you see that, it's sort of like it legitimizes. All everything that they had been saying, because not that there was too much ambiguity as to whether or not the Blair Witch was real in the Blair Witch Project, it still really hits hits at home at that point. You're like, holy shit, mm-hmm, this was yeah. all actually happening, and then it all came to a culmination. Um, and yeah. as a brief brief side note, when uh, what's what's his name? Uh, I think like, it's when Josh or Josh. M- when josh uh, admits that he kicked the map oh, into the no, river no mike
1: kicked mike kicked the map it was oh me. it was mike it was mike
0: I okay remember. yeah when when mike admits like, that he that kicked the now. map into the river it's probably one of the best performances it's probably the second best performance he's, moment he's, in that movie he's cracking up yeah he just he becomes hysterical and and heather
1: and josh they're just like they, they pause for a few beats and they're just like is he fucking serious is that is that a joke and then they lose it um,
0: and I wouldn't even be surprised, by the way, if if they didn't that, if know they that he was know, going to say that. I, I that's Like, if I, that was a line that the directors just gave to Mike. I considered that, too. In fact, I frequently considered how many
1: times in this film they didn't actually know what was going to happen or what the other characters were going to say. It was so convincing. Um, in kind of a similar way, I, I actually, my uh, favorite performance moment, in, in I mean, in terms of job by a performer, is uh, when they are... You know they've been walking south forever, and they come across they come across again a log. Oh uh, yeah, the river. And Mike's Mike's just yelling, "It's the same fucking log!" And you just because Heather's holding the camera and she's just just, like telling herself, "That's not the same log. It's not the same log." The
0: same log, yeah. She just
1: breaks and she just starts crying so hard. She's like, "That's the same log." And it was just, uh, I. Okay, this isn't going to be another train wreck moment. I don't think I'm getting over my head here. I fucking think Heather Donahue should have gotten an Academy Award nomination for this fucking movie. Should have. I. But she did such a phenomenal job.
0: I don't really know I, what she was up against, but I don't think her I, name ever, okay, entered and I, ever touched the lips of Academy voters. <laughs> I
1: guess that's a fair thing to say because I don't really know the competition either. But, I mean, just in terms of being convincing... It's one of the most authentic performances I feel like I've, I've ever seen.
0: They're, I mean, and it even has like an Oscar moment, so to speak. You know,
1: yeah, they could play, they could play that her, that her confession video. They could play that all at the Academy Awards, and yeah, it'd be a little weird, but that does a perfectly good job highlighting her performance. Like, it's. I'm just saying, I know that these aren't professional actors, but god damn it, they were so fucking good. Hold on, hold on, this cannot be real, huh? Uh, so apparently, not only, oh my god, not only did Heather Donahue not get an Academy Award nomination for Blair Witch Project, she won a Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Actress for Blair Witch Project. Oh,
0: fuck the Razzies, man. I hate them.
1: I fucking hate them so much. <laughs> I cannot believe that. That is nuts. That's insane. Now, okay, to prove that i'm not going completely crazy she did also get two nominations of uh, for uh, online film critics society award for best actress nominated and blockbuster entertainment award for favorite actress newcomer so she got a couple nominations but the one she that that she won was the golden raspberry for worst actress
0: yeah that's that's some bullshit
1: i hate the fucking razzies so goddamn much but you know what? Also, just remember Stanley Kubrick was nominated for worst director at the Razzies for the, for the Shining. Shining. right? These people are just—they—they are—they have no fucking lies. So <laughs> God damn it! Fuck! Fu- yeah, Blair Witch, of course, was nominated for worst picture.
0: <sighs> I'm sorry. Yeah, way worse than the when than the Academy Awards. The Raspberry Awards almost never stand the test of time. Or they're just so easy that, like, no one would disagree with yeah, them. Yeah,
1: they're so, they're so easy and no one's going to... Like, I mean, I honestly wish that there were awards that, like... Just films that are bad in a creative way. Like, or not, not necessarily creative, but like you said, in a memorable way. Where they're just... I don't know, they're going to go down in history infamously as being, you know, terrible films. This, oh, God, I just can't believe that. Anyway... I'm sorry, that was a bit of a derailment, but I, I <laughs> couldn't fucking believe what I was seeing. Um, we are segueing into Blair Witch, mm-hmm. and, I mean, the fundamental question really, is, there are two, how and why. Um, how, in the sense that, I mean, we're going to disregard that there was ever Blair Witch 2, book of whatever the fuck, who cares? Yeah,
0: the filmmakers um, have said that it doesn't necessarily discount... Yeah, but-
1: it. Uh, but we're gonna forget about that because no one liked it, and I feel like uh, American uh, film culture has done a great job of completely ignoring its existence over the last 16 years.
0: So, so why should we be any different? So <laughs> why should
1: be so, you know this is so this is different because this is a major film by a pretty prominent horror filmmaker, um, and they're clearly taking this as a serious, not not just a cash making opportunity, but a serious uh, follow up to the Blair Witch Project 16 mm-hmm. years later. Um, so. How, in the sense that, I mean, the Blair Witch kind of depended on being framed as found footage, literally found footage from the woods of these student filmmakers who went missing. And this is all, this is the only doc. I mean, they're supposed to be documents, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And a franchise, I I, mean, by Blair Witch coming out, by necessity turns this into a franchise and it was already a franchise. There's already been comic books and video games, video games and all that crap. But cinematically we've done a pretty good job of treating the Blair witch project as its own thing and you know, doing our best to maintain the illusion of it being real. And that was where it got a lot of its, uh, got a lot of its power. So how the fuck do you approach this, uh, by deliberately making it into a cinematic franchise? Um, and doing so really, I mean, Like I said, with a real movie, not, like, with a piece of shit, like, uh, you know, cash-grabbing sequel. Um, And uh, uh, the second question is, of course, why? What are we going to gain from essentially – and I don't really – just to kind of throw in a a quick plot synopsis here – of essentially recreating the exact same – situation as a student filmmakers in the first movie we're dealing with albeit with a slightly different cast of characters you have you you know Blair Witch expands it a bit there are four friends uh one of whom James right is the yeah
0: brother. James Donahue is Heather's James Don- brother
1: Heather's brother who uh comes across some footage that I don't actually believe is from the first Blair Witch Project because I looked well for no that no example. it's no yeah I, oh Okay, yeah, uh, right, because it's from Lane. Yeah, and, okay. <laughs> uh, sorry, no, 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 sorry, I just wanted to make sure.
0: i like, did you watch this movie? <laughs>
1: I the fucking movie, man. Um, it was late, though. It was really late at night. Um, That's fine. I was, I was the only one in the theater, and somehow that didn't make it scarier.
0: Um, Were you actually the only one in the theater?
1: I was. It's the second time this has happened in the last two movies we did, and these, this is the only times in my entire life I've been alone through a the movie theater the entire time.
0: The only time that's ever happened to me was when watching All Is Lost, starring Robert Redford, and
1: that's, that's really so fitting. it's so fitting. fitting. Yeah, wow, that's a good movie to watch in solitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It happened with Sully last week, and then it happened with the Blair with Blair Witch this week. Um, and I have to say, it was a bit more fitting with Blair Witch because yeah. with Sully, there'd be like a, a like a, a joke or something that they'd crack, and like there was clearly supposed to be audience laughter, and there wasn't any audience, and I couldn't <laughs> bring myself to laugh at it, so it just kind of fell flat. <laughs> um yeah so uh uh you know he sees uh he comes into possession of some footage uh or i'm sorry yeah whatever he looks at some footage thinks he sees uh his sister heather uh in it and uh, is therefore motivated to gather up his friends, one of whom is, I believe, a film student making a document. Who's the one actually making this documentary? Um, take them out into the woods, uh, meet up with the two people who uh, provided him with the uh, video footage, and try to find his sister, who he's convinced is still alive, by retracing their steps uh, from the original Blair Witch Project. Now, the. Uh, Fundamental difference, and this is going to sound really superficial, but this is this is pretty much what it is. Aside from the extra cast, they we, we basically get to experience this play out with more advanced and modern camera technology, and that actually is kind of interesting because I mean, in a lot of sense, in many senses, Blair Witch is kind of the Hangover too, of horror Eagle. It it does a lot. Similar to the original Blair Witch. Um, but it, it almost does so to emphasize the few elements that are different, uh, one of which is the technology. So instead of just having some crude and, and cumbersome film equipment, they have uh, these tiny cams with microphones that they, you know, affix to their ears that can, you know, that, that record in a million times higher definition than they had in the original Blair Witch project. <laughs> have drones, yeah, I mean, it says
0: those actually aren't even the real cameras that they were filming, but
1: no, but I mean, whatever for the suspension of disbelief.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can, I (laughs) Um, can spend my disbelief and not wonder like why there's not like hair in front of the camera. I think I read a review that's like, well, I didn't see any hair in front of the camera and there would have been if it was attached to your ear. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. You got him, man. You got it. I think you found proof that this
1: movie is fake. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fuck that. It's almost like it's a movie or something.
0: Yeah. Right. In reality, though, with all this technology, um, it's almost – you can make the you can make the argument in how it uses found footage. It's almost the anti-Blair Witch project. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, so I, I don't mean to interject. Uh, no, I'm go ahead. We'll talk more fully in a moment. But um, yeah, one of the things that stuck out to me watching Blair Witch is that uh, the director, Adam Wingard, and I'm assuming his editor too, uh, they were kind of – they were trying to construct – sequences that mimicked a traditional narrative horror film um, in terms of using, uh, you know, really obvious and deliberate cross-cutting, um, kind of create, I mean, basically creating montage at certain points um, and, you know, using, you know, just kind of trying to elicit more conventional scares that way, almost trying to make you forget that you're watching a found footage horror film. And, of course, the, you know, the, the way the camera's work and where they're fixed and how clear they are do a pretty good job of that too other than the fact that many of the characters talk directly to the uh, directly to the camera at many points I mean it's... I mean
0: yeah it it uses like shot reverse shot all the time which is not something you normally get in found footage
1: no it kind of dispels this idea of it being this just random scattered footage found in the woods which the original Blair Witch Project did a really great job of projecting because there wasn't really that much creative editing going on there. It was, I mean, it was narrative there. It, it was, you know, it took you from the beginning, uh, and dealing with the legends and whatnot through to the end in a, in a linear fat, fuck, I keep knocking the mic, sorry, in a linear fashion. Um,
0: but, uh, but if you're going to look at the Blair Witch project for cinematography, it's going to get a pretty low grade.
1: Of course it is. Um, and I feel like not only with, uh, I feel like with Blair Witch, not only did they, uh, you know, use, not only did they uh, use, you know, narrative editing techniques, but they also tried to compose shots in a way that you would kind of expect from a, uh, you know, traditionally filmed movie. Uh, even what, I mean, honestly, you could pass this off as uh, something that was just filmed with a handheld camera by a traditional camera by a traditional cinematographer. Um, yeah,
0: no, I'm definitely. I mean, it,
1: I mean, it technically was. That's that is. It kind of takes away from that authenticity that I think was so defining of the Blair Witch Project.
0: Well, yeah, this is a word um, I'm going to use throughout the pod- throughout the podcast. I'm sure it takes away the immediacy of uh, the, that found footage really offers, and it offers horror horror films really well, and not t- even just horror films. This is something we really saw in David Ayer's End of Watch. Mm-hmm. With Edmund, yes. They use technology too, like you know, body cams and things like that, or that were supposedly body cams or like cameras on their like glasses, things like that. Um, you know, under the guise that these are something that police wear to record what they document, what they're doing. And I think Jake Gyllenhaal also wanted to just make a documentary about it. But that movie sort of used found footage only when it wanted to, and but even when it wasn't strictly speaking found footage, like it was being filmed from an angle that a character didn't have a camera. It still was shot in that same sort of like shaky handheld fashion and all lending true. itself to the idea that this is happening here and now, which makes it a very engaging viewing experience. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, and yeah, I feel like that's maybe one of the consequences of uh, more advanced cameras being accessible to, uh, you know, amateur filmmakers, the the line between a professional studio film and something that a person makes in their spare time um, you know, it, it, it's. I'm not saying it's non-existent. It certainly is, but it kind of is diminishing. And you know, it's not as you're not going to get anything as raw as you got in the Blair Witch project. So, in that sense, I almost feel like I almost feel like um, Adam Wingard didn't really want to make a found footage horror film. I feel like he was trying to, you know, because in his career so far, which admittedly is not that robust yet, I mean, mm-hmm. he's only got. I, I mean, does he have more than your next and uh, the guests? Well, he was technically else? those the, are the only two that.
0: He was technically the director of VHS and VHS two, from. Oh, okay. The main but, director. Uh, yeah, I mean, those each segment in that movie was directed by a different person, so he just that sort was. of. Put them all together. I don't know if he had any creative input on the on the segments themselves, and he did direct. I think like the overarching, um, you know, the the thread of the that ties together all the different um, anthologies in there. So, um, but yeah, those were both fast footage movies. So,
1: (laughs) right, Um, and the thing is though, because the two I've seen are *Your Next* and *The Guest*, and both of those films I think are really good at um, using horror conventions and manipulating them and playing with them. I feel like that's Adam Wingard's strong suit. And I feel like just the nature of found footage and the Blair Witch project in particular doesn't really offer him as much opportunity to do that. So It's I, true and I
0: actually just, sorry, I, go I got on.
1: Oh I no no not I had I, I was about done. I was just I feel like there's a fundamental mismatch here between director and material.
0: Well yeah and actually if you look at the I mean if you listen to interviews with with Adam Wingard and/or Simon Barrett, the screenwriter who also worked with Adam Wingard on *The Guest* and *Your Next*, they're really all they talking about. The they don't talk about found footage that much, but they talk about is the mythology of the Blair Witch, mm-hmm, and that's something right. they really dug, sunk their teeth into, and expanded yeah. upon. And it, it, as I said, say what you want, but you you can't deny that they really expanded upon the the mythology of. No, they de- They definitely did. Yeah, and th- but- that's really what they what they sought out to do. So, you know, not, and I'm not saying like, oh, well, they did what they sought out to do, so blah, blah, blah. But it's interesting that he sort of took a, he didn't take this opportunity for f- making a a found footage film to play with the conventions in the same way he normally did. And he's said that all along. He's like, you know, sure. look, I've, I'm have i I'm known as a horror director, but this is my first real horror film. He wanted <laughs> to do just like a straight up horror film. And as I said, when I talked about the Blair Witch Project, the most quote unquote horrifying Aspects, you know, not the not the emotional psychological bits, but the horrifying aspects were derived from the setup and payoff of the mythology of the Blair Witch. So,
1: I I really thought you were in. Blair Witch. I am a horrible director. No, I, I am no. a
0: horrible director.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, no, you're absolutely right. But yeah, my uh, yeah, I mean, my retort to that is, I would argue the most the least interesting elements to me about the original Blair Witch project were the nuances and the details of the Blair Witch story because. I mean, that's just every. I mean, like every single wood. I mean, look, I grew up in a wooded area. Every single place like that has its own weird little mythologies and weird little legends that you know the locals tell or that kids uh, per- perpetuate to you know to scare each other. That's just part of growing up in a in like you know a, an area like that. And I, I feel like the nuances of the Blair Witch were less important than uh, you know just the general atmosphere it evoked and. So I guess maybe that's why I think that Adam Winger chose to zero in on the least interesting elements of the Blair Witch project and uh, disregard its care I mean, his characters are flat and boring as hell. These are not I, I never bought for a second that these were people like actual, like, you know, creative kids interested in making a movie. That's always kind of, that always kinda of seems secondary. In fact the motivation was just I gotta go find my sister. Yeah and it's just There's just something so much more Hollywood and conventional about that that just really left a bad taste in my mouth. I never had that. I never had that suspension of. uh, I'm sorry. I never. It never had that verisimilitude that the Blair Witch Project had, and I really think that that's where this franchise has its strong suit. And I don't really. I'm not saying it has to do what Blair Witch did again, but if it's going to take in a different direction, I feel like it has to justify it beyond just. A way to show off new toys and i really think that that's the most new it brought to the table i was really let down by by blair Witch, personally
0: well it's true that it's true that james um his plan doesn't really make a lot of sense like this easily could have been a movie about you know the same movie same plot just not found footage because his plan to filming it is sort <laughs> of unclear like it's not that i thought almost they were going to make like this a they're going to pitch this as like a documentary about his grief and confronting the tragedy of his past, but they're not, he's actually wants to go find his sister. Wouldn't and
1: that be a more interesting movie.
0: I know. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it doesn't make sense. Like if he, they think like, I think they say that they have enough that they'll like reopen the case. Really? You think they're going to do that? Like because you base. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because like you found some, even if you found the fucking cabin, what do you think they're going to do? Right, <laughs> like it's it's gone. Okay, it's done. It's over with. So yeah. I don't know what your plan was to get this documentary. That being said, I do actually. Uh, everyone else aside, the characters of James and Lisa have some pretty good emotional moments. That's actually set up in a way that I thought was strange at first. Like they're they have this weird like awkward sexual tension in in a uh, in the tent one night, and I'm like, what the fuck are they doing with this? But it it does have good payoff on se- on several points in the end. So I mean. I
1: kind of just interpreted that as the traditional, you know, the horror. I, I mean, the two leads in this horror movie have to want to bone each other, even if they don't actually do it. They just have to have that tension there.
0: No, and, and that's what I—that's what I thought I, it was. But without anything hinting at that in the first in in the first part of the movie, their their moment where he's I, trying to calm her down would not have worked at all.
1: But there's a way to establish a connection between characters without.
0: Making it like
1: clearly oh. making it that they want to fuck. Like I mean, it's just that to me almost belittled it a bit. Like I enjoyed the um, I enjoyed the relationships between the three filmmakers in the original Blair Witch project so more, er, so more, so more, so
0: more. <laughs> so you want us more, do you?
1: God damn it! <laughs> so much more because uh, first of all, a lot is left up to inference in terms of what they're actually. I mean, you know, they're obviously friends and they know each other, mm. but like. You know, you just kind of have to, it, I mean, it really feels like you're hanging out with people who have a much broader history than you're aware of and that you're just kind of, I mean, fuck. I know that you don't like, um, that, that you hold up that one film quote, uh, for the witch, uh, that, that it's a, a film that feels like you're not supposed to be watching it. Um,
0: Watching something you're not supposed to be something you're not yeah. supposed
1: to seeing. I know that definitely you know you hold that up as a great uh, quote because it can't be applied to anything else. It is a great it is a great criticism quote. I, I do think it can be applied to uh, the Blair Witch Project too, um, because it almost just feels like you are actually like you know in you know. So, so uh,
0: let me just you mean the Blair Witch Project also right?
1: Yes, the Blair Witch okay. Project also um, because it, it really feels like you are intruding on these three friends these three actual people who are you know slowly losing their minds in the woods um and you have to infer so much more about their relationship but it, it's that much more organic and believable they don't have to have a moment where they're in the tent together and they lock eyes and they just clearly want to bone each other it's just like to me that's just so cheap it's just such a like a lazy way to develop a relationship between characters where if they had done a better job of that throughout the movie they wouldn't have had to have that moment and 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 the the sequence at the end is still believable. Also, I have to be baffled at the horrible character, the decisions that the characters make in the last scene of the movie.
0: It's yeah, no, it's it's. I totally hear what you're saying, and I you know I acknowledge that it could have been done a lot better, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I I like that something was in there, and I think it does work to help pay to help the payoff at the end of their not just not just the two of them and their emotional scenes at the end, which they have. Right before they go into the cabin, when he's trying to calm her down after she's really hysterical, and at the end when he's telling her to stand in the corner and he's giving the the Heather apology, and even even also honestly on when she's on her own down in the tunnel, um, you see sort of her remembering what what James had walked her through before, going through those same motions, saying, "Okay, I can I can do this." Just focus, calm down, breathe, etc. And I, I, thought it made the emotions work, and no, they didn't need that stupid, awkward t- sexual tension scene to do it. But sure. if nothing was there, it's sort of a worse alternative in my mind. I mean, fair enough. I just, you know, I,
1: I've seen what Adam Wingard is capable of. I'm really happy you showed me your next, mm-hmm. um, and the guest was such a delightful surprise. Like he's he's proven himself to me. I'm interested in seeing what he does with his career. I'm, I'm like, he's a director who's on my list. I, he comes out with a movie. I find it worthy, you know, I, I find it worth my time to go check it out. And I just, you know, I, I mean, I, I shouldn't say I expect more. I just I like mm-hmm. seeing his talents put to better use because this is just like I said. I, I feel like this is just a terrible match for him. He should not have directed this movie um, because it just it just doesn't match. It just doesn't mesh with his. It's a squandering uh, of talents, I'd say. Yeah, it just doesn't mesh with his sensibilities as a horror director very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, and you know, I, it's it, it's not horrendous or anything. It's not like you know sacrilege or you know it doesn't damage the integrity of the original or anything. But to me, it's an and it's definitely not like. Book
0: of Shadows, bad. I mean, this isn't even one of the worst films I've seen of the year. Like, it's probably in the top fifty percent at least.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. Yeah, I wouldn't do. I mean, I wouldn't call it anything other than mediocre. But I just, you know, I, I don't. There's no reason it should have to be mediocre.
0: Yeah, well, and I had I had wrote I wrote this in a, an article I wrote about the the Blair Witch for Film School Rejects, which I've now plugged twice, so I'm just like a shameless yeah. asshole. Um, you know, I don't say this twice. in a braggadocious way, but <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll stop. Um, Taxes. But I think that um, that scene where where Lisa is crawling through the tunnel is like kind of a perfect microcosm for the movie itself, because it's it's pretty well filmed overall, despite the fact that. Not all of it is really found footage. It has, some, it has some stinging emotional moments. It's decently scary, but it also doesn't really make sense and it's kind of pointless. Because if you think about that scene, she gets thrown down into by Lane. She gets thrown down into this pit. Mm-hmm. And then, so she's, she's gone downwards, and now she is crawling through the tunnel that's directly left. And somehow she ends up in what appears to be the same room, or at least another room that happens to also contain Lane, Lane in it. yeah. So yeah. really, literally, if you excised that scene from the movie, you would miss nothing. It's true. Which is um, sort of, as I said, a microcosm for this movie itself. If I had never seen Blair Witch Project, found footage and horror and, and Adam Wingard would be no different.
1: <laughs> I thought you were, I really thought you were going to... Uh... I thought you were gonna be like, "This is a metaphor for the movie, viewing the movie as a whole. You're just crawling through this tunnel of shit. <laughs> this... But eventually, it ends." No, oh, I'm, I'm not an asshole. All right, okay, all right, all right.
0: Um, no, I just, but, I just think what we've had here is kind of a pointless, innocuous movie that has some yes. good moments in it. Yes, I agree with that. And honestly, the reason why there are more characters, I read this too, was because yeah. Simon Barrett wanted more, wanted to be able to include more terrifying scenes, you know? Yeah. I mean, so that's sort of actually, what the yeah, movie ends this, up being. It's sort oh, of like a bag of, a mixed bag of scares, you actually, know?
1: I'm glad you bring that up, because that, that actually kind of bugs me too. The reason you have, I mean, look, having more characters in a horror movie is just code for, we're going to have more memorable kills, It's the same logic that they used in Friday the 13th movies. I mean, that's.
0: Yeah, we need more teenagers.
1: (laughs) And Blair Witch is about moving. The Blair Witch Project was about moving away from that. It was about stripping it down to its essentials. Who gives a shit about the details of the Blair Witch? It's about these kids making a movie in the woods. And we're going to focus on them. And we're going to really capture their states of mind as they slowly lose hope. And as they are trying just barely to, to grasp onto the last strands of sanity they have. And. There was just something really, like, really tense and raw about that that felt new. It was, like, that's that's why it was doing something different. It's because it captured, you know, that, like, I don't know, it almost got to the heart of why we get scared at horror movies. It just felt more volatile, whereas, like, Blair Witch just uses it as an excuse to have more horror movie shock moments. And like I said, I think Adam Winger is really good at, you know, using those tropes and playing with them and subverting them in his other pictures. But with this one, there's not really as much room for, like, you know, meta – there's not as much room for, like, self-awareness or meta-commentary because it's very – I mean, found footage is a really literal genre. You're seeing what you're it's – it's literally an objective point of view. Mm-hmm. This isn't like – you know, you, you can't have a, you know – weird abstract dream sequence in a found footage film if that ever happens i will be very curious to see because i think that will be a new development in the genre but <laughs> by, found footage by dream de- sequence <laughs> <laughs> yeah like Kubrick doing a found footage movie and creating a mind fuck like the shining somehow incorporating found footage i mean like maybe that's the next like revolution in the genre but it's not there yet and it's like where they somehow
0: invented like a brain camera
1: (laughs) yeah I mean that's the thing there's nothing to play with it's just it's it's objective that's all it is what it is and that's why you can't really be a director like Adam Wingard and kind of you know depend on you know this kind of self-awareness these you know playing with tropes you can't even be like a um, David Robert Mitchell right with it follows um You can't make a self-referential horror movie like that. It's just not condu- it, like found footage is just not conducive to that kind of filmmaking. So, you know, that's I'm I, I'm just reiterating my point again and again. But um, that's, I mean, I, I feel like that I feel like there's a lot there to support it. So,
0: yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm impressed that we're sounds like we're wrapping up discussion and we've only I been chatting so. for like a half an hour. I, oh, good. We're doing great. This is gonna be our shortest episode ever.
1: Wow! Uh, paranormal activity uh, sucked. Moving on. No, I'm just <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. No. So yeah. I mean, I think that's about all I had to say uh, for the Blair Witch movies. Um, uh, unless you had anything else to add. Oh,
0: you know what? I do want to add something. Sure. And I look. I'm not. I'm not going to be. I'm not the one who is trying to put this to bed. A lot of people are. But there's been some controversy over the idea. That Adam Wingers Blair Witch uh, was bad because it it showed the Blair Witch. Mm. I, I don't know if this was a thought you you had too. It, no, it's I mean it's a thought that I
1: I realize like oh they're actually showing
0: the Blair Witch and so, so here's the thing.
1: It's it's something that they avoided deliberately in mm. the original movie.
0: Here, here's the thing though, um, mm. they're not showing the Blair Witch and they didn't. Yeah. So this is, this is a this plays into that idea that Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett like really dove deep into the the lore of the Blair Witch because Mm -hmm. there are actually like three different sort of moments in Blair Witch history that people are all attributing to the crazy things that happen in the woods. So you have Rustin Parr, the the guy in the cabin who made his uh, children or some children stand in the corner while the mm-hmm. other while they murder while he murders the others um and then you have a uh, uh ellie kedward um who is the woman who was what is, appears to be maybe like a doctor or something or trying to experiment with with newer for new age medicine like taking blood and things like that and who was then uh you know, tortured and strung out to die of exposure in the woods, mm-hmm. and then you have the other. I don't remember the name of it, but the person who was pulled underwater in in the river. You know, so yeah. these are sort of the three things. And so in their mind, they what they showed in the movie was undoubtedly Ellie Kedward, You know, mm-hmm. the the witch with the super the, stretched the, out limbs. Yes, because they mentioned that she was like on a rack,
1: and that, yeah, it was a makeshift rack. Yeah.
0: Yes, but they don't. But Blair, but uh, Simon Barrett and Adam Wingard, they've talked about this. They don't consider Ellie Kedward to be the Blair Witch. Blair Witch is sort of like the driving force behind all of this, something that they haven't okay. seen, something that the characters did see at the end when they were when they were killed, but we didn't get to see that. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's sort of like you can make the argument that they showed too much. Technically speaking, they did not show, at least in their view, they did oh. not show the quote-unquote Blair Witch. So.
1: Okay, well, that's the technicality. But the thing is, though, I mean, it does kind of, though, play into... Uh, it, it, it's kind of a demonstration of what I've been saying, where, like, I mean, this is a film that will show you something. It, it's a movie that is going to turn... It, it just turns so much more of its attention to the Blair Witch or to whatever demonic force is compelling what's happening to these people. That's... I mean, honestly, I would say that that's more... I mean, okay, I, it's probably taking it too far to say that's what this movie's about. This movie is about uh, James looking for his, his sister Heather, mm-hmm. but it's like it, it just feels like Adam Wingard wanted, like, was really more interested in getting into the nitty-gritty that he, like, that he didn't really give a shit about that story, and he just wanted to learn more about the Blair Witch mythology. And so I think that's... um, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a problem that they technically showed, uh they technically showed at least one of the manifestations of the Blair witch, mm-hmm. um, whatever. But I do think that's indicative of just a, a shift in, uh, priorities that Blair witch had over, um, uh, over the original Blair witch project.
0: Yeah. I think I don't misguided think, is really the I, best I, I, word.
1: Yeah. And that's not, well, that's not even a complaint, you know? I mean, if that's what they wanted to do, that's fine. It's just, I think you have to acknowledge, like, like, I, I feel like they had to understand that they were taking it in a different direction and do something to really justify it. And to me, all they've really done is expound upon a fictional mythology that I was never really all that intrigued with in the first place, <laughs> because to me, it's just kind of the generic ghost story that they tell in every single, you know, woodsy area. Um, well, so, you know, it's mean, could... almost
0: like a perfect point to transition, at least in my mind. sure. Yeah, let's and, do it. And so we're, we're moving into paranormal activity and, and here's, and here's why. So paranormal activity is a movie a lot like, in my mind anyway, a lot like It Follows, in that yeah. it is a horror movie and uses horror conventions and has a a horror antagonist, but that's not really what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then in the sequels, no, most notably, and this is why I chose it, Paranormal Activity 3, mm-hmm. they really dig into the plot of it. They're like, okay, sure. where did this all start? You know, wh- what's the reason behind this? Um, where, And that's the same thing, you know that uh, actually they've been talking about. Uh, <laughs> some people have mentioned a sequel to It Follows that would that would dig into you know what hap- <laughs> what the it was See, and where, its oh, origins. God damn it! Which would be a terrible idea. <laughs> Who the fuck cares? So this could be this could be now three major franchises that Jeez. started out uh, with a really like personal human. Uh, story that happened to also you know be a horror movie, mm-hmm. and then completely went into the the opposite direction. <laughs> yes. And that's sort of so Paranormal Activity, and I don't, I don't even really know how popular this reading is, but it's almost unmistakable to me when watching Paranormal Activity, the first one, and that this is a movie about relationship problems and about a relationship breaking down. Yeah. So I mean, you can see this from the very beginning that they're sort of not good together even before the ghost got along like he's really irresponsible you know he and then he's kind of a dick like he demeans her on several occasions he almost like gaslights her you could you could this say
1: this is of these characters we name them it's uh
0: mika oh yeah mika and
1: mika excuse me and uh oh fuck katie katie thank you i'm sorry yeah, mika
0: katie.
1: Is, I, have a, I have a problem when the when names are very common yeah i remember i remember mika because it's like wow, that's really unique, and I just totally forget the other one.
0: Yeah, Mika There's, and Katie, yeah, this, and again, these are also the actors' names. So yes, <laughs> so, so they're
1: again introducing that authenticity, that uh, uh, element of you know creating as little uh, artifice around these people as possible.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the first shot you see in the movie is Mika with you know filming Katie coming home. And she's sort of asking him questions about why he has this new, big, impressive camera that costs a lot of money. And he clearly is at home. So, maybe you know, he. they say he's like a day trader, so he probably makes good money. But still, they also later say things like – he says things like we're engaged to be engaged, which is sort of bullshit when really if you're engaged to be engaged, the only thing that should be stopping you is financial considerations. And if you're blowing like two weeks' salary uh, – mm-hmm. <laughs> On yeah, a big-ass yeah, yeah. camera, you're clearly not prioritizing your relationship. Sure. And then, yeah, at other times when she's really concerned about the ghost, he, like, openly mocks her. Like, he's he's a bad guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I um, I have a, a – because I knew that was your reading, and I, I definitely mm-hmm. had that in mind when I was watching it. And I definitely – I agree with your reading, but I also kind of have, like, an addendum to it that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can tell me how bullshit it is or not. But No, that's fine. Because um, I feel like – Paramount, the paranormal activity movies, at least the first one and the third one, um, they they kind of seem to be products of the social media age, whereas like in um, like in, in Blair Witch Project. The footage was accumulated from characters who were deliberately making a movie. They were taking film equipment. They were going out into the woods. They were recording themselves, and they were trying to construct a documentary. This was them being filmmakers and, you know, making a something that they viewed as, like, a work of art. These were creators. Um, paranormal Activity kind of seems to have this tinge of – I mean, this is obviously before, like – the NSA leaks or anything like that. But this kind of seems to have this more modern sensibility of like, we're just filming our lives. Now we're staying. And I mean, this is mostly a domestic film. This mostly takes place inside of their house. Um, but at the same time, everything's being documented. You're getting peeks into these people. I mean, whereas like Blair Witch, you have to kind of infer what the relationship between these people is. Um, In normal everyday life, because they're only filming themselves going out into the woods and making a movie. These people are just filming their their everyday normal occurrences, their interactions. That becomes the subject of the movie. And so, if we're answering, you know, because if we're we're trying to orient all of these around the question of found footage, I feel like if the Blair Witch Project is, you know, a swan song of 90s independent filmmaking. And you know the the you know grainy independent student picture. I think that paranormal activity is almost taking our obsession with putting our lives on social media and filming ourselves, and you know basically uh, you know putting our deep personal secrets out there for the world to see. I feel like it's almost a
0: the film culmination of that. Well, Do yeah, you think and that and interpretation holds any water? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, they even. She even asked him on several occasions, you know, what, what are you trying to accomplish? And he never gives a satisfying right. answer.
1: Exactly. Cause you don't need to accomplish. That's the thing. What is anyone, I mean, this is just life now is, you know, we are on, I mean, we just, I mean, fuck for all I know, I haven't seen Snowden yet, but for all I know, I'm being recorded through my laptop camera right now. Like we're just, I feel like we kind of have this implicit agreement with culture right now that we're always on camera and that every bit of our lives is, um, you know that that, you know we're just always that there's no limit to where the public sphere is anymore and um i feel like that's why so much i mean fuck so much of the defining footage of paranormal activity isn't i mean don't get me wrong a lot of it's handheld camera but most of it is you know literally just shots from a night cam a stationary night cam um uh not not to get ahead to to uh uh, paranormal activity three but there's a uh there's a camera that constantly pans from left to right, very, very robotically, and like these things are not, they don't have any humanity in them. It's almost it's ba- it's literally just surveillance.
0: Yeah, no, I mean it's it's designed to get a visceral reaction. Um, no,
1: yeah, of course, but it's so it's almost like you're taking found footage from being this like this personal handheld, uh, or you know, handmade, intimate thing. And you're objectifying it even more You're putting up that extra um, You're putting up that extra barrier Where there's not even a person behind the camera anymore You're just being
0: watched Well and if you want to take that even further You need to watch Paranormal Activity 2 Where the, the What am I trying to think of the, uh, um, the conceit behind that movie Is that this person the, the male in the household Is very paranoid And he actually literally puts up security cameras In his house so oh, most of the paranormal you things you see are from security cameras, right? See, is, is is paranormal activity 2 supposed to be bad? Uh, you know, no, it's it's not bad by any by any means. I just didn't think it was as it was worthy of discussion. As- so
1: sure, okay, no, no, fair enough. I I just kind of want to know because I am a little curious and seeking it out because I think if. Uh, i think if i took and don't get me wrong i do think that this plays into your interpretation of it being uh, about relationship problems i just feel like it's almost been a, you know like i said i think it's an addendum to that i think it's like you know it's using found footage in a way to to explore this concept in a way that i don't even think would have been i don't even think would have made any sense to an audience in 1999 like the idea for this movie is nonsense to a pre-social media age i think
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not taking anything away from your reading. Uh, I, I think it's actually a really good way. It's another an, second time that you've brought up a, a, an aspect I haven't, I haven't thought of. So, but I uh, just, I mean, this, they literally have the idea that this, this demonic possession this this haunting gets worse as they get more angry at each other i mean yeah. it's it's right. sort of it's a not if you think of it that way it's not even subtle they're like the not- the more you guys hate each other the worse this it gets right and he does things too, like deliberately go against what she what she asks you know he says like she says, do not, in any circumstances, buy a Ouija board. And he shows up with and a Ouija just, board, and he's and like, just well, I didn't buy it. <laughs> this guy's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Also, as he, a he, quick yes, aside, I've just realized that I'm pretty sure we're recording in, like, 3x speed, like we were before.
1: <laughs> I just got this weird uh, voice manipulation thing thing from from your end it was just like a second so i don't know if that's gonna stick but
0: no well we, i think recently i just said oh we've only been recording for like a half an hour and i'm like that's wait cool. no we we've haven't
1: definitely been recording long
0: yeah we've been yeah. recording for that that's because all i i'm seeing it record like oh it's it's only 30 minutes like or unless we're in like a blair witch time suck you know Yeah, i was gonna say are we
1: is it released like seven o'clock in the morning right now
0: yeah right <laughs> it's seven a.m what it's the hell my sad. my alarm's going off but it
1: a bit five days already. <laughs> Um, and that's okay we can uh,
0: We will, I'll be able to edit that So yeah that's fine I, I am
1: kind of wondering if there's like a feminist reading of this movie that I haven't because uh, I haven't really looked into a lot of the critical discussion going on around it other than just like the immediate you know newspaper reviews after it initially came out but I, I do wonder if there are any like you know in particular you know you know, feminists' critical theory interpretations of uh, of paranormal activity, particularly given the ending.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. I don't, uh, I don't really know that the ending pays been. off as well to that reading as as you might think. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it's sort of it's woman triumphing. Yeah. But it's also a woman is possessed and evil triumphing. <laughs> it's, it's it's true, and with a dead you know, with
1: a dead body on her hands.
0: Yeah, and actually, the, especially if you look at the the alternate endings, which which I had, uh, had actually seen, because uh, as I said, I like pirated this movie back in two thousand seven, and they had like a, a couple different versions, and I was like, oh, okay, and I mean, some of those are even like worse for that sort of interpretation. So,
1: yeah, okay, well then, uh, yeah, just just throwing it out there because I I haven't
0: looked into that at all. Um, yeah, I mean, the, actually, the the original ending of this movie. Um, Is that after that, is that Katie kills Mika downstairs? He doesn't get thrown at the camera or anything. Okay. And then she comes up and is just like sitting at the, and and sitting on the bed, just sort of like rocking back and forth until a few days later, I think someone calls the police. And then the police show up and she's still like holding a knife in the bed and she like sort of like snaps out of her catatonic possessed state and approaches them all panicked with a knife in her hand and of course because of that she gets shot and killed by the police so the police there don't it it lends itself because all the police see is the wreckage of a relationship afterwards they just see like she murdered her husband in a crime of passion and now she's dead because of it too you know it's just it's just carnage relationship carnage and
1: yeah so i guess that goes that plays in uh A lot to your interpretation, and of it literally just being about a destructive relationship. (laughs)
0: Because then that's all that's left. No, but of course, paramount, uh, paramountal activity. (laughs) Paramount Paramount knew what they had on their hands. They knew this could be like a really immediate thing, a really profitable thing. And yes,
1: it It sure was. It was.
0: It was made for fifteen thousand dollars and made almost two hundred million dollars. I think this this is the film that actually surpassed the Blair Witch Project for being the most profitable movie of all time. yeah. And uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure if it still is, but it, it's at least one I, of them.
1: It's definitely <laughs> up there.
0: Yeah, so uh, Paramount knew what they had on their hands, so they had to tweak the ending to make it so not both of their main characters were dead. And then they used Katie Katie's backstory to basically write the plot of their next Five movies
1: (laughs) yeah they're all about the uh her interaction with this horrible demonic spirit since she was a little girl
0: yeah yeah yeah, which they do in fairness they do mention that in paranormal activity
1: they do but that's almost an aside isn't it like it's yeah it's it's ancillary it's 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 the blair witch syndrome all over again they took a something that was basically supposed to be a, a vehicle for you know the, you know, for this, you know, horror scenario to play out, and for us to explore these themes that we've, you know, that, that it, and you know that you articulate so well about what paranormal activity is probably, you know, fundamentally about, and it just kind of belittles it by making it all about the minutia of the, of the whatever the fuck demon is possessing. I mean, who gives a shit? And I'm, <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually really excited to get into Wreck because I feel like that's the the one uh, deviation from the trend we're seeing
0: here where, like...
1: I mean, it's not even that these sequels are terrible, it's just that they're... Like, to me, they don't do a good job in justifying their existence.
0: Yeah, no, and I was definitely going to bring that up, so let's put a pin in that. Okay, (laughs) yeah, we'll do that, that's fine. I wanted to talk about this, too, on its its merits, so to speak, as a found footage movie. And I'll say that... More than any, almost any found footage film I've seen, probably besides the Blair Witch Project, this movie handles cutting very well. Yes, and it that does. It it cuts to uh, it would it would stop filming at logical times and pick up filming again at logical times, and you're sort of left to infer things like, oh, okay, obviously some time has passed. You know, there'll be some sure. dialogue. Like we haven't seen anything in a while, so it it really. It, it's one that sort of makes the most sense. <laughs> yeah. If you want to really pick apart the, every, I mean, sort of the fundamental question when you go into a found footage movie, you, you got to ask why, is, th- why are they filming? Why are they
1: still filming? This?
0: <laughs> like, why are they filming this? And it, it, it makes the most sense in this one, and it, and it makes, it, it sort of breaks down a lot when there are handheld uh, found footage films because when you watch one of sure. those, it's like this guy should he should just put the fucking camera down. What is he doing?
1: I, I think Cloverfield might be the the worst example of that. That at least that's popping immediately to my mind.
0: Cloverfield is pretty bad, and honestly, at times Paranormal Activity three is is pretty yeah. bad at this. Yeah, it is. I mean, you have times when I mean, I think the guy, the film, sorry, the scene. I can't even. I don't. I don't have the best words right now. Okay. Oh, come on. <gasps> Uh, when Randy, that's who it is, um, when Randy is in the bathroom with the, with, uh, young Katie, and uh, they just did the Bloody Mary thing. Oh, like, yeah. She is holding the camera in one hand while trying to hold the door closed in the other. Use two hands! <laughs> Come on! Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's just, there's, there's a lot in Paranormal Activity 3, and, honestly, Paranormal Activity 3, I sort of put in here... Uh, almost, and I mean, in a lot of times, as a what not to do <laughs> Okay. in found footage. Not that I think I the film's wondering. a total wash, I, I don't, and I, I like a lot of it, but there's a lot of things where it goes wrong, namely, in the the idea that this is a movie that's going to explore the plot of a movie that really didn't care much about its plot. Exactly,
1: yeah. Which I would also argue, I mean, like, I have argued, it's the same thing that The Blair Witch did, so.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, I mean, this it's these go hand in hand in this. The other, the main reason, the main positive reason, I, I, and you might not like this uh, from the w- weird thing. So, sorry, from this little bit you mentioned it before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the main reason I wanted to put this uh, talk about this movie is because of the the oscillating fan cam. Okay. Yeah. And just what in it? I it, I know it's a gimmick. It is a insanely effective. Horror what, gimmick, why, f- why, horror found footage gimmick in this movie. Why,
1: why would you think I wouldn't like that?
0: Oh, why? I don't know. I mean, you you had said like it's literally all surveillance, so I don't know if you. No, um, I, I I didn't mean
1: that as a criticism. I think that that's, I think that's actually one of the few things that, um, benefits. I actually think that's one of the benefits that uh, Paranormal Activity Three had because it had this unique new way to further. Cause, you know, uh, the original Paranormal Activity introduced this idea of. I mean, like I said, not even having a person behind the camera of this found footage movie. It's stationary. It's just recording them as they sleep. It's basically the epitome of objectivity. You're literally watching surveillance footage. And I think that this was a way to... um, the, the, The oscillating cam was a way to keep that objectivity going while at the same time introducing a really creative new way to you know, to scare the audience. I actually thought that was kind of a brilliant instance of having your cake and eating it, too.
0: Yeah, no, I, re- I remember watching... I mean, this isn't the first time I've watched this movie, but I remember watching it for the first time with... And I was with a group of people in in my dorm in college, and it was fucking terrifying. Everybody just... It's, <laughs> it's that simultaneous feeling of not wanting to... Not, not wanting to look, but on un, being unable to look away. You know, <laughs> it's just like... Ur, ur, uh, and then it has... I mean, only, like... On certain occasions, only on like one occasion, which is a fake out, that is there like a, a oogie boogie scare. Like a lot of it, oh, is, sure. yeah, a lot of it is really like subtle, and you're just sort of left to look at something for at least a couple seconds uh, that is legitimately horrifying.
1: That's actually what I admire the most about um, these paranormal. not well, not the most, but I did admire that about these paranormal activity movies. I really feel like they were. I mean, they, they were least dependent on cheap scares that, than – I mean, they, they were less dependent on cheap scares than, like, even Blair Witch was, which – I mean, I feel like – actually, I think like Blair Witch used it a fair amount.
0: <laughs> it's true. Blair Witch uh, – there, there was exactly one line that I could – like, if you ask me if this – well, one scene slash line that – if you ask me to pinpoint – if you told me that one scene in this movie was directed by Adam Wingard and written by Simon Baird, I'd say that. And that's when okay. someone jumps in front of the camera and <laughs> they have the line and it's like, people really need to stop doing that. <laughs> oh, God. I actually cracked Ugh. up. I...
1: Yes. Yeah, it was that really good because I'm like, that is so on
0: point. Down. So many found footage was, films use they, that one where they have someone uh, with a handheld how cam. How many
1: times did they use that in Blair Witch? Like, And that's the thing. The um, not, to, not to regress in this conversation, but... Yeah, yeah. like They they obviously are trying to make a comment on it, but the found footage format isn't letting them. I thought, until that line came up, I thought literally every single one of those was supposed to be, like, I was actually supposed to suspend my disbelief for it. It wasn't, those weren't, like, self-aware horror moments.
0: No, and Uh, then it sort of, like, reveals itself to be, and then, actually, at that point, I don't think they use it anymore after they say that line. They they
1: don't, and so that proves to me, like, okay, that was self-aware, but...
0: But, again, I don't don't want to...
1: Is found footage really a good way to, to express that?
0: Yeah, I don't want to bail it. I mean, you, we've said this before. Just simply like winking at the right, camera isn't exactly. enough to like bail out. You know, your it's not uh, it's not a get out of jail free card.
1: Of course not. And but it was really GTA, funny. And
0: in as I said, in other and many other found footage films, there's someone with a handheld camera, and then they turn around, and then there's someone there. It's like, did you not hear them approach you? <laughs> right. Obviously if
1: you're in this tense atmosphere, why I mean fuck, you can hear branches cracking off way in the distance. Why don't you hear the approaching footsteps of your friend who wants to come and help you? And why are they approaching ah!
0: <laughs> I don't know. It's just Yeah, no, it's it's really stupid and they sort of like pointed out for it, but uh, Yeah. It, that's know, sort of the only thing that's that's un, It's remotely unmistakably Adam, Adam yeah. Wingard and Simon Barrett.
1: Yeah, and I, I feel like that ob- like that advanced level of detachment is really what the Paranormal Activity movies had going have going for the most. So when they can, uh, when they find a way to have a bit more fun with that and get a little bit more creative, uh, I I think that that's great. So no, I I agree with you. I think the oscillating and Cam uh, in Paranormal Activity Three was probably my favorite part of the movie. probably I mean that's really that's probably. The part that I will still remember in three months, and I don't really know if I'll remember anything else about this film.
0: Anymore. I mean, it's the part I still remembered in like three years since I sure. <laughs> since yeah, I first saw it. I was like, yeah, we need to we need to watch this movie because there's an oscillating that's- fan cam. <laughs> that's pretty
1: much why we watched it. The
0: first I'm not gonna lie, like it's just it's it's, it's great. really memorable. <laughs> You're not gonna hear an objection to me
1: uh, uh, from me on that.
0: It was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, are we? I don't. I don't with paranormal I told you
1: I don't have a whole ton to say about paranormal activity, and I think that that uh, you know post Y two K social media era you know surveillance element is pretty much the best thing I had to bring to the table with it. Um, I do actually think that. Uh, I, I think that Paranormal Activity will kind of have the same effect that uh, it, it will uh, follow the same trajectory that I think the Blair Witch Project did, where it will become a stronger movie that is prone to more to more interpretation as uh, time goes on and we move farther and farther away from this like you know early social media age. Pre, you know, pre Edward Snowden NSA leaks. I feel like I know that these sound really, like, really random things to bring up, but I think they're all relevant to our idea of how we view footage and surveillance. And I do think that Paranormal Activity is going to, uh, going to get. Uh, I, I think it's going to be more respected as it's got a, uh, um, as as we get more historical perspective on it. Where uh, and uh, Paranormal Activity Three, I think, will forever be remembered for its awesome uh, cam, uh, fan cam. Yep, (laughs) Um, and uh, with that, I think I'm I think I'm done.
0: Yeah, I said pretty much everything else I could say about that movie is sort of like what not to do, and with a with a really good found footage (laughs) horror idea.
1: Pretty much, Um, I mean, like like I I mean, I view it as being pretty much the Blair Witch to Paranormal Activities Blair Witch project. It's not like you know, it it works fairly well as a just conventional forgettable horror movie that I'm not going to remember that much in uh, uh sorry one second no you're fine not that often we get oh, a phone call at eight oh it's only 8 45 oh, i thought it was way later for some yeah
0: because well we're used to recording way later
1: <laughs> and also it's, well, it's also getting darker earlier
0: oh and, yeah that too
1: but uh yeah i mean i kind of view it in the same way that i view the blair witch yeah it's it or just sorry that i view blair witch um where it's not like I mean, it's, it doesn't do anything like tarnish the name of the original and it's not like a, a, it's not a bad film in and of itself. It's just conventional and forgettable. Like it's, it just doesn't have the, um, unique qualities that I think make, makes the original uh, that make the original worth revisiting.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is the, this is the unreleased it follows sequel to it follows. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like,
1: okay, cool, whatever. But who gives a shit? Honestly, like truly ask yourself why is this film worth making and watching um, and I just don't really think I have a satisfying answer to either of these sequels
0: mm-hmm. but but other sequels, other might. sequels <laughs> maybe
1: let's move on shall we
0: yeah so look as I said if you've had or read discussions of really prominent horror films online or even just found footage films in general you've probably heard about Wreck a 2007 spanish film a spanish found footage zombie film that takes place entirely in an apartment building that's been uh quarantined off speaking of quarantine quarantine <laughs> this is really why you've heard about wreck yes it is <laughs> because quarantine is came out in 2008 a mere one year after uh wreck because i can't imagine this film took any more than a like a couple weeks to shoot and then you know a few months to edit and throw together so they could easily have thrown this together in, in that amount of time it is a almost shot for shot remake of wreck the quarantine is so mm-hmm. and then of course there's going to be a lot of fervent debate between those two films and I'll, I'll, i've said my thesis before i think on the podcast but if you in case you don't remember it i'll, I'll say it again here said, I have the controversial opinion that I I happen to like quarantine better than I like wreck, but I think that the sequel, wreck two, makes that discussion sort of obsolete <laughs> because we
1: both agree that wreck two is out of all of these three the best.
0: It's better than um, both of them combined. <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. It's um, really good. So, so you know, and I. You can go back and forth, and we might on this podcast about what we liked more or less about one or the other between Wreck and Quarantine, but once we get to Wreck 2, ah,
1: ah who cares? We're just showering in a, a pool of bliss. Blood,
0: so, I actually.
1: Blood, blood and demonic pus.
0: Like a literal bathtub of blood.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like uh, like someone's vomiting a maggot into our mouths. And... <laughs> anyway. Like a uh, demon maggot. Whole, a demon maggot, Yeah. So, James, this does mean, though, that we're going to begin with uh, with Wreck, 2007's Wreck, widely considered to be one of the greatest horror films of the 21st century.
0: Well, and, of all time.
1: <laughs> and of all time. And uh, it is your least favorite of the three films that we're going to be talking about in this franchise.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's sort of like... Like it's my least favorite dessert between like apple pie, pumpkin pie, and uh, a s'more. You know, <laughs> it's like the the
1: answer to that question better be uh, apple pie because uh, there's no word near in the category of
0: pumpkin pie and s'more.
1: You think so? <laughs> well, I
0: don't
1: know. What, I think, what is okay,
0: apple pie with like some ice cream, okay, like fine. a la mode.
1: Okay, fine, fine. Then let's get the s'more out of there because pie is delicious. <laughs> um... Kelsey doesn't like pumpkin pie, and uh, whenever I'm reminded of that is when I am most upset with her.
0: <laughs> that's like 50% of your arguments derive from the. Lack uh, no, of no, it's pie. literally
1: 50% is pumpkin pie, and 50% is uh, she doesn't like a movie that I like.
0: Oh, yeah, that, well, that's a problem.
1: <laughs> that is, I get just so irrationally angry.
0: <laughs> I know, you're like. What? I've, I've been I've been actually pretty good about keeping keeping calm and just I'm listening so to what she has to say. She being Kim, my girlfriend. So
1: oh okay. but were like like Kelsey. It's like yeah, goddamn it. When Kelsey started bad mouthing, no. Uh, uh, suffice it to say, uh, I did not watch wreck with Kelsey.
0: No. Okay,
1: cool. Uh, I, uh, so you love all three of these movies, but you find wreck the, the weakest. So let's just set set it up here, and then we'll kind of talk about what Wreck does that the other films we talked about yet haven't. And uh, then we can get into how the other films in this franchise expound or, you know, or in some way uh, enhance what it tries to do. So uh, Wreck is uh, about a, uh, what stars Angela Vidal, who is a a Spanish newscaster. And uh, she and her cameraman Pablo uh, follow around a group of firemen for a segment called While You're Asleep. Uh, and they follow these firemen on a uh, what appears initially to be a routine house call where they're trying to subdue an old woman who has been uh, throwing fits. And uh, uh, as they uh, uh, go into the apartment, they slowly realize that uh, they are uh, in the midst of a uh, contaminated zone and are uh, uh, basically being shut off. Uh, from the outside world, by the Spanish uh, Health Commission, whatever the hell the actual uh, organization Some is.
0: governmental organization. Some governmental organization. I, I, it's CDC
1: in quarantine. Someone that has
0: the power to close you in your building.
1: <laughs> it's CDC in quarantine. I don't know what the Spanish equivalent is, so apologies for that. Um, and uh, basically the footage is uh, entirely uh, Pablo's... Well, I mean, I, except for the very end. It's uh, entirely Pablo's uh, camera work uh, as he records the events of that evening as they slowly divulge into blood and gore and disease and potentially demons? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so that's, uh, that's a very rough overview of Wreck. Um, I don't feel like I spoiled much with the demons thing because that kind of becomes central to, to
0: Wreck too. So. Yeah, and it's actually one of the one of the things the director, one of the directors was most upset about, about Quarantine. Yes. Because um, completely- one of the directors was, you know, he didn't really say much about the film, but he was like, well, I appreciate that Quarantine put our film on the map and a lot of people know yes. about, and it, honestly, I'm one of them. I'm one of the people who know about Rick because I saw Quarantine, you know, yeah. and looked up what it was about and said, oh, there's this other movie, I'll watch this one. Um, so, but one of the directors was also like, they sort of took out what was central to our movie and made it something different. Uh, Right. So it it was less favorable, (laughs) I'll say. Yeah.
1: Well, because quarantine was literally a, just a contagion movie, right? I mean, that's kind of what they turned it into. Whereas wreck, um, it, it introduces this element of, uh, uh, of religion and demonic possession to what is already a pretty intense, zombie
0: movie well yeah that's the thing it makes it it makes it all more sinister than whereas quarantine is pretty satisfied with just being a zombie movie so sure sure um so okay
1: in that sense though we're kind of i mean at, at that point though we're kind of being antithetical to the films that we talked about before where we are kind of lingering and the directors in this case of the original film have even said that the details of this disease or whatever's happening to people this is important this is seminal to our, our movie mm-hmm. so already we're it seems like we're kind of dealing with a different creature than we were before
0: well but yeah how- and i think the fundamental difference is that it didn't start out and we're, we're jumping all over the map here but no no no
1: that's okay that's okay let's let's go with it i like yeah it. yeah
0: <laughs> it didn't start out as one thing and then fund it fundamentally becomes something different you know, sure and, this, this movie has always been exactly what it is it is a it is a zombie film that works in demonic possession and adds immediacy with found footage and great performances so yes. that that managed to both tackle the human the human part of it because of as I said great performances and this style of style of filming uh, and deliver really effective scares so it, it, mm-hmm. it's a movie it's a really unique movie in that it's has his cake and eats it too and that its sequel just continues to expand upon that means that it didn't really do i mean fundamentally it didn't do much different and that's why it it sort of gets a pass so to speak although i don't think it need to pass give it a pass for much but it's Uh it's different in other horror sequels because it doesn't take it in a new direction you know it's still just going Uh, there
1: i think it emphasizes different things it's it's I think it takes something that was a, a okay. I'm sorry. This might be a stupid metaphor, or it might be one of my amazing like metaphors. But it takes <laughs> something that was it takes something that was a seed in the original, and it plants it into a, a beautiful bloody tree.
0: No, no, no. I like it. I like it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it 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 does have a different focus, but in a way that follows the logical continuity of the original movie, which I think that's. That's how you justify a horror sequel to me. And it also, I mean, this is going to be... When we, when we get into the discussion more uh, in more detail of Wreck 2, we can talk about its difference in presentation, um, mm-hmm. which, while keeping it found footage, really finds a way to distinguish itself. Um, and that actually might be my, my uh, biggest complaint about both Wreck and Quarantine. Um, and it's not a huge complaint for either. Um, but I do feel like, uh, in terms of... Uh, I do feel like in terms of camera work and presentation, it didn't really do a whole lot to distinguish itself within the genre. It was definitely, um, you know, not as bare bones. E-
0: either of these films, Wreck and Quarantine?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, in both cases. Okay. Um, yeah, in both cases, they didn't really do much to distinguish themselves presentation-wise within this genre. I, like, it's definitely, they're definitely more, uh, uh, like, more elegant and less gritty than something like the Blair Witch Project, which, I mean, these are, those are amateur filmmakers doing it, whereas this is, you know, a, a news cameraman. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, and they also don't do anything as, like, you know, uh, you know, they, they don't do anything like the the paranormal activity objective cam. Um, it's pretty much just your, I, I mean, it, it seemed to me, just as someone who's seen a fair amount of found footage movies by this point, it seemed like a fairly typical uh, found footage camera setup. So, I guess in that sense, um, it, it it was really more of a the scenario they were in uh, that made the movie ef- effective for me than necessarily how it was presented or filmed. Do you agree yes. with that?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, um, so, I mean, I think I can break down my... my distinctions between quarantine and wreck. And, you know, you it sounds like you have more to add or more to, you know, discuss I, about I, this. I'm really excited for it, but...
1: Yeah, I have my opinion.
0: But yeah. I would... I would with like Quarantine to see- and Wreck, I can I can break it down into two main things that I like okay. better about Quarantine. Great.
1: That's what I was going to ask you, so perfect. Yeah,
0: so it really comes down to two things. One, there is... They add a lot more in the beginning with Angela Vidal and the firefighters such that not necessarily character development but I know who these characters are and in that respect too, it's it, it helps me throughout the movie to be invested in these people rather than seeing them in film language as, uh, you know, just more as bodies. Accessible. Okay. All right. So not that, not that these character moments in the beginning have any sort of like meaningful payoff, like something like, like Blair Witch tried to do or, sure. you know, the Blair Witch project really had, um, but at least it's there. And that's something I didn't sure. really get from, from wreck except for with, with Angela and Pablo. But yeah um, well mainly angela to be honest <laughs> pa-
1: pablo no pablo is my fa- by the way pablo has earned his position as my favorite character who's i believe never shown on film
0: okay all right no cool, in cool. ever I-,
1: I really do i love pablo i don't even entirely know why but he's just like it's <laughs> because he's so i don't know he just seems so dutiful and loyal
0: well he's almost like in the way that uh i mean in the way that uh, Angela Vidal that Manu- Manuela Velasco the the actor like calls to him it's sort of like he's the he's the omnipresent like protector of the movie so you sort yeah. of like latch on him you're like I, know, I need I Pablo know. too I, you I know a
1: personality in him I don't know I, I it's weird I, I might like be entirely projecting this it may not actually be in the film at all but I just I got the sense of a really loyal and dutiful uh, partner in this i don't know it's mm-hmm. I, I i liked pablo a lot I, I i didn't feel like i needed much more with that character and like i said I, I i think he is my favorite movie character ever who was never shown on film
0: um you know i i can agree with you because i, I don't just, uh, have any other examples off the top of my examples head of movie characters <laughs> who weren't shown on film <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then so the, so that's the first thing the second okay. thing and look these are going to sound like small things. I want to say no, that no, no,
1: no, it's fine. I, I, I actually really like I like your first point. I have a counter to it, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's it's good you brought it up. I think that actually is important. So well, no, yeah, doing...
0: and, I, and I just want to say too that it's hard to find really large sweeping differences in between two movies where one is a shot for shot remake or the other. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. you kind of have to split hairs where you can. So the second thing is that I found quarantine more viscerally effective. Okay. And for for one main reason, and that's the lights. The lights in quarantine go off like that. Done. They're like they they try to pull some shit, and then it's like, all right, cut the power. And then it becomes it becomes scarier. Just look at a base level. I'm a I'm a human with with basic instincts, and look, I'm scared of the dark. So, um, okay. it, it I think that helped a lot of the scares going forward, and they were able to play with that more, and they they added a few more. Uh, more scary moments that were only really possible in a in a darker setting. So I I liked it for for that reason as well. Whereas in Wreck, whereas in Rec, the really only dark part is in in the attic at the end. Okay. So so there you have you have my two no, no, no. and I'm actually two, really excited so, to hear so, what you have to say about them.
1: Uh, okay. So um first off, I just want to say I think that those are two really good points. I think that uh I think that you defended them well and
0: uh and and I understand
1: Fuck you. I understand your point of view. I would also like to say I think you're completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um okay no 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 it's I have a different it,
0: it, more a different take.
1: I have a different take uh and and I understand at this point that it all comes down to taste and that's totally fine. Um but in term, in regards to the uh, firefighters, uh, particularly at the beginning, um, actually I thought that was one of the highlights of Wreck was this kind of workaday atmosphere it created, and that these are literally, I mean, th- they are in a sense just, uh, you know, underdeveloped characters doing their job. But I kind of like that you did just kind of get a th- that they weren't really elaborate on that much and you kind of in the sense of the you know the relationship with the friends in the Blair Witch Project you didn't need something directly spelled out for you whereas in quarantine like you do get to know them better but they're also like not very like it, it takes them from just being dude like you know dutiful professionals I keep using the word dutiful sorry um, but it, it takes them from being you know professionals to being like you know it's just like smarmy I, it didn't really turn them into people for me it turned them into horror characters it turned them well, into because they're they broad
0: really, I'll give they, you that you know
1: they're, they're broad they would just make quips like hey, 50 bucks I can get in her pants by the end of the night like oh okay that is just such an American like like to me that just reeked of like a Hollywood edition that like you have to make these characters more like more broy and more like fitting inside of a horror movie whereas the in the Spanish original they were allowed to just be firefighters doing their job you didn't have to have those like you know, really just those kind of like machismo moments that I, I really think took away from them more
0: than they added. Well, I um, think if you, uh, just, if I could just interject quickly. Sure, sure, go ahead. Yeah, of I course. think if you, on, on a second watch, I think you'll notice that if you ever watch it again, <laughs> I think you'll notice no, that a lot yeah. of the really machismo moments are really from only one of the two main firefighters. And I think the second okay. firefighter distinguished themselves pretty well. And I also need to, I need to admit fully that, it's completely possible that part of the reason I connected more with the characters in quarantine was because they were American and speaking English. And I can understand the inflections of their voices and things like that better, which makes it easier for me to relate to them rather than just reading what they're saying via subtitles. So I have to admit that that is a possibility, but I think there was just physically more, (laughs) literally more there on the screen and on the script, regardless of cultural differences. Fucking racist. (laughs) <laughs> no, i just hate um, spanish people you know
1: i really no um no, no no i i hear that and actually it's so weird because I, I i see your points but i feel like i have like almost the op like because because everything you're pointing out i noticed too but i like had the opposite reaction as you to it and in that sense <laughs> i also get the same way about the language because one of my bigger complaints about quarantine is i feel like it's a much worse acted movie i feel like the the I feel like the delivery is less believable. I feel like the characters overreact. I feel like they, um, they, they just feel like horror movie constructions rather than people actually going through these, like it, it actually trapped in this claustrophobic space and going through these horror horrifying trials. Whereas in the Spanish version, I felt a lot. It felt a lot more organic to me, and it felt like it was happening more, like more spontaneous. And by the seat of your pants, and that it was less a, you know. Uh, a horror director trying to guide me through this haunted house, which is kind of how I felt about quarantine. But I also acknowledge that that might be because I don't, uh, I, I don't really know how these lines are being delivered in Spanish. So it just seems more natural to me. It seems less like acting.
0: Like um, maybe they're really bad Spanish actors. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, no, 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 you want, you know, one of the biggest examples of this, um, uh, Quentin Tarantino's *Inglorious glorious bastards. Cause you know, we have to mention Quentin Tarantino every podcast, every podcast. Um,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> every time it's a tradition. Um, so one of my favorite performances in that movie is Melanie Laurent as uh, um, Shoshana Dreyfus and yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean really she just,
0: Shoshana Shoshana <laughs>
1: yeah seriously she was, she was just such a highlight I loved loved her character and I'm like holy shit I mean Christophe Waltz yes needs to become a big star and he did thankfully but I'm just like fuck uh, Melanie, Melanie Laurent needs to be in more stuff she's great apparently every French speaking person who saw her performance thought she did a horrible job
0: like, wow <laughs> yeah apparently See, I did not they, know that
1: apparently they thought she sucked and like i just never and and i still don't understand that i, I can't perceive it and it, it kind of got me thinking like what defines a good performance for me if they're in a foreign language because i've seen bad performances and like performances i would consider bad in a foreign language before but like what am i looking for what are the ticks that are like setting it off for me that that either make it convincing or unconvincing and i don't really entirely have an answer to that so, uh, in this case, I'm going to be kind of like, you know, uh, I'm not really going to have a whole lot to back it up, but I just, I, I got a stronger sense of authenticity from rec than I did from quarantine and from seeing, you know, uh, is it Jessica Carpenter or Jennifer, Carpenter, Jennifer Carpenter, Carpenter, yeah. um, from, yeah, I mean, just Best seeing people, seeing people who I recognized as actors, um, you know, playing roles, it just kind of had this extra level of phoniness that didn't ring as true for me um i will say i have heard people like hating on the quarantine and i don't really get that i just kind of view it more in the sense of like let the right one in versus let me in maybe not even that extreme because i do think let me in uh which is the american remake kind of like actually on un- like i think it uh si- oh, like it simplifies some themes and let the right one in that i actually think make it a, a much weaker movie whereas like quarantine other than the omission of the, you know, the divine element, it is a pretty cut and dry. Like, you know, it's, it, it is clearly just a repackaged version of the original movie. Um, and any, uh, so for me, I guess it's just the notion of, uh, you know, of the impact being lessened because I saw the original wreck first. I, um, and it just felt more fresh and original when I saw it there. Um, to your other point though, with the lighting, uh, I also disagree with that because, I, uh, and 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 kind of for a similar reason, I felt like the, I mean, yeah, they keep the lights on longer in the original wreck, but I also felt like the lighting seemed more organic. If it, it didn't seem like it was artificially lit, like a Hollywood movie, whereas in quarantine, there are several scenes, particularly like where they're, um, like where, uh, um, you know, the the man's trying to you know uh, break out of the. Break out of the room and he gets shot by the sniper across Mm. the street. Um, That scene in particular, I I noticed, like, just it was lit in a way that made it seem more artificial. It had extra, um, it it had extra floodlights around the characters to to define, to, you know, emphasize them more. And that, I don't know. I feel like that came about many times in the film, where like in the original, something would be left more obscure, and you wouldn't be able to see it as clearly. And the filmmakers were okay with allowing for that, you know, kind of that little moment of ambiguity or uncertainty as to what a character was doing or whether they were, you know, uh, you know, directly threatening other characters or what was really going on. Um, Whereas in quarantine, I felt like everything was always lit to. Make sure that there was no confusion as to what the audience was looking at, and which normally is fine. I mean, that's what lighting is for. But in the sense of a found footage movie, it it took me out of the moment a little bit. It kind of lessened the authenticity.
0: Fair Um, enough. I mean, it's funny you should bring up that scene where the guy's breaking out because in quarantine, that's probably one of the best singular shots uh, oh, in no. any of these.
1: I'm not I'm not knocking the shot. I was just talking about the lighting in particular in that scene.
0: Well, I, I mean, yeah, no, that's fine. And I just I wanted to bring up that shot anyway, you know, sure, in sure, going that's... to in the future. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like after after the guy is shot by the huh, I, I keep saying shot now in a different context. After the guy <laughs> has a bullet lodged in his brain by a sniper from across the <laughs> roof. Uh, <laughs> um he's and he's sort of bleeding out on the floor. The camera goes to the outside and you see half of the frame is on a window pane that's reflective of the body and half the frame is outside, which in and of itself tells a whole message, you know, yes. like death is either inside or outside. And, and, and is also just, it's a really impressive shot. And I, I know that it sort of, I, I even admit that it sort of takes me out of the found footage aspect of it, because that's, that's the kind of shot I would expect to see from a more traditional, you know, cinematographer angle.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow, actually, that's a good point. I don't think I ever. Hold on, I'm actually pulling it up now because I have, I have the video file and.
0: Well, yeah, I, I don't. I don't even think that shot was in wreck. No, it, it wasn't.
1: It wasn't in wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, it is. A, it is a bit dubious to call quarantine a shot shot by shot remake. Um, but I mean, for for the most part, they do try. And, they do kind of. Well, stick and a
0: lot of the look, the bulk of it is a shot for shot remake. So it's there true, are, there are some additions yes. and subtractions, as we said, but. This is true.
1: Um, yeah, no, wow, that's a really good point. And, uh, yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't think about the shot that way. Um, so, yeah, look, I'm, I'm willing to admit that if I view these movies apart from context, like, it, it, you know, in terms of, you know, just Wreck literally came first. Um, while I still prefer Wreck, they are pretty, I mean, they, they, they do... Co- compare better than I think I was initially giving them credit for. Um, that said, I I don't know. I, I just can't help but feel I get a better. I, I have a more. Uh, I don't know. I, I have a better reaction to the original wreck. Just something connects with me more about it. I get more. Uh, I, I just get a more genuine feel. From that movie that, that is the, I mean that's an incredibly vague thing to say and I apologize that's of
0: we're sort kind of like, saying that like I mean this could, this could easily be the same discussion if I'm like oh I don't like peanuts because they're salty and crunchy and you're like I yeah, love yeah, peanuts because yeah. they're salty and crunchy yeah <laughs> that's true, that's
1: true. Um, yeah I mean I, I just it all comes down to the fact that I get a better sense of realism from the characters in the original wreck um, I, I I thought it was more I, I thought the way scenes were constructed were more suspenseful. I liked the, like the the initial scene with the woman that they're going, the old woman that they're going to see in the room. I thought it played out uh, much more like you know quietly and was a bit more prolonged in the original wreck. And you don't get as direct a view of it, whereas in Quarantine, you know, they they show it more clearly. It just seemed like all that just seemed to be symptomatic of Hollywood filmmaking needing to have less ambiguity and needing to just show you everything more directly rather than uh, keeping the emphasis on. This like the spontaneity of the found footage element. So, um,
0: yeah, I mean, if anything, yeah, um, um, my (laughs) if anything, I am I I make this argument to the 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 staunch hipsters who will insist that you know everything is every all all cinema is better outside of America or or outside outside. of outside of Hollywood, and you know, and that's sort of the argument. The that's sort of where I, I see the argument coming from I'm not when,
1: arguing that at all
0: no I, mean, I know I know you're not I know you're I,
1: not. I, okay 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 I just want to make that clear I do think that when America when Hollywood remakes foreign films though there is a temptation to spell things out a bit more clearly and I mean they, that was really a problem with let me in uh, as opposed to let let the right one in and I have a much I have a much bigger beef with that movie than I do with quarantine versus wreck Um but I do think that element is still there, and I do think it's attracted a bit from uh, how I felt about uh, quarantine as a remake. So, um, but at the, you know, at, at not to say, not, not to imply that it's absolute garbage, not to you know disparage it too much. I just have a, a preference for for wreck over the original. I feel like it was just a more, uh, uh, just overall a more like blood curdling and uh, mm. you know, a tense experience.
0: Yeah, I mean that's. And, and that's, that's honestly what I what I ever hope to achieve at least. I, I, I know I'm like in the vast minority when I say that I like quarantine better than rec, but I, I at least want to achieve – want to dispel the notion from people's minds that quarantine is just a, a complete piece of crap because it really isn't. And I don't even know how you get that reading from it without – Without the idea that oh everything from Hollywood is crap and it's always better outside of Spain, so I mean, well, it's always better in other countries such as Spain.
1: <laughs> I just pulled up that shot you were talking about, by the way. It's only it, his body's only in frame for like one second, but man, that that is actually pretty cool. I did not notice that before.
0: Yeah, I think I actually noticed that the first time I watched it. Which, that which... really
1: wow, because his body they don't they don't, and I will say, contrary to what I was just saying, they don't they don't hold on it at all. So it's definitely not like something that they made overtly like you know way too obvious um it's definitely an element in the shot but it's yeah wow that's cool i'm glad you pointed that out actually yeah i think
0: there it there's a brief flash of it in in like uh like a half a second and then like the light from the outside goes by it again and you sort of see it for like a at least a, it feels like at least a second or two i don't know yeah <laughs> but, yeah
1: yeah so you're right it's a yeah it's that's that uh, wow that's really something man i i like that a lot and, and it's it's great that they could do something like that and I, I do like when and we're gonna get more into this with rec 2 because I think there are more examples of this mm-hmm. but I like when they can do interesting uh you know, they can create interesting compositions even with the uh you know the apparatus of a handheld camera that's supposed to be you know a you know a, a human uh you know a human cameraman who is not necessarily focused on how to frame the best shot at that particular moment who's basically just recording and documenting what's happening um that's pretty cool
0: yeah and if someone ever asked me like what can you do if from a cinematography standpoint with found footage i point to that scene i'm like watch that yeah. watch that shot <laughs> you can yeah. do it
1: yeah yeah that's um, good and
0: point. also i want to bring up um this that these both these movies have two of the most memorable horror shots that i can possibly think of and that's actually not one of them the first one is the fireman falling from the stairwell yes that is so shocking and i'm actually God. just getting like kind of tingles thinking it about it because
1: it freaked me out when i first saw I it i know
0: and you hear like his God. screams too like i still remember the exact scream he made i can hear it in my head <laughs> yeah it haunts my fucking nightmares yeah it's just and then yeah, it's just like you're supposed to be focusing on this woman talking in the in the foreground, and then right in the background, just bam, yeah, uh, really terrifying, really shocking, and crazy effective. Um, and now the other scene is probably one of the most famous yeah. horror shots ever, which is yeah. the night vision in the attic.
1: Um, in particular, I think the final shot of both films, which.
0: Which I, mean, that, that, I think it was probably in both trailers. That's the one that,
1: no, it wasn't in the original. I looked this. I looked this up because uh, I think the original wreck was smart in the sense that they didn't. Uh, they didn't basically show their hand. They didn't show their best card in their hand uh, when marketing the movie. Whereas Quarantine literally made that final shot of uh, Angela being dragged into the yeah. darkness. Made it the centerpiece of its marketing Uh uh-huh i i knew that shot before i ever saw wreck because it was fucking on the poster for quarantine
0: yeah it's kind of it's it's bullshit like it's it's
1: bullshit i hate like i just hate that that and this is not a criticism of the movie no of course not the the decisions the decisions of the people marketing it are not uh, those are not the creative decisions by the director i completely understand that however Fuck you for using that image so prominently in marketing and spoiling what is probably like, a you know, one of the more most effective final shots in horror film history. <laughs> no, it really was spoiled for me. I saw it right for the first time. I'm like, wait, I know where this is going. Oh, fuck you. And then she gets pulled into the dark.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course.
1: So and I guess in in consequence, I just spoiled it for everyone listening to this. But oh, well, I'm pretty sure that they saw the quarantine. They've children. already
0: spoiled by it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, do you remember when I told you how um, "Don't Breathe," the night yeah. vision, in rather than aping Silence of Lands*, more aped this scene.
1: Yes, yeah, I agree. With, I think you're right with, about that. Yes, um.
0: yeah, because I, I don't know. It was it, it was no, seeing it, something in the background from our perspective, uh-huh. uh, not not it didn't take the perspective of the killer like Silence of Lands* did. So, yeah.
1: Oh, also, I saw Blair Witch right after I saw a uh, wreck, and when uh, I don't even remember her name, the girl Lisa. was Lisa. Yeah, thank you. Was uh, crawling through the uh, the sewer. I I was really
0: we're waiting, waiting for her to get pulled. We're to get
1: pulled back. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: we're not gonna do a wreck.
0: No, they didn't. They didn't pull a wreck. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think we're. <laughs> probably said p and i like that we're able to still be friends you know yeah, yeah. But- I,
1: don't, I don't hate you that much
0: um <laughs> I might and, just uh, still- with uh <laughs> but moving on to to wreck two so, the one that makes this discussion irrelevant relevant right because we both agree that wreck two
1: is the best out of all of these three movies and i haven't seen the rest of the wreck series you have told me to never ever ever do it
0: Look, um, I haven't seen Rec Four. Maybe it's a redemption. So maybe, yeah, okay. Rec Three yeah. is the worst piece of shit to ever grace <laughs> cinema. <laughs>
1: um, so, actually, James, do you mind if I just introduce Rec Two with a little? Se- it's not really a segue because I'm I've already declared that I'm doing it.
0: Yeah, but, yeah go uh, nuts.
1: Okay, so you, we keep bringing this up because it's 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 worth bringing up and it's awesome. Um, your, uh, you know, your your opinion of great film criticism and one that I share. Is that uh, a good comment on a film can only, you know, within reason, can only be made about that film. Um, I mean, you could apply it maybe in, in a different other instances, but it, it's directed to this movie. It's not a broad generalization that really can apply to any movie you like or don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, that's absolutely true, I think. You know, that, that, that good critics comment directly on the experience of watching this one movie and... Uh, um, leave it at that And I, I I totally agree So I was looking up reviews for Rec 2 And I came across two quotes They're both on the Wikipedia page um, and, I don't think I've read these <laughs> Oh yeah it, it, It's the perfect uh, it, it, It's the perfect yin yang It's day and night One perfectly ascri- uh, Perfectly conforms to your opinion of Or at least it might, I, I think it does Conform to your opinion of good criticism The other the epitome of of, uh, of absolute garbage commentary. The first one comes from Empire Magazine. Uh, and uh, they said, here's a horror juddering with such in-your-face malevolent energy. It's like being caught in a first-person shooter possessed by the
0: devil. Wow. That's brilliant. That I, like, is so good.
1: <laughs> it's a first-person shooter possessed by a devil. Brilliant. Um, the next review they, they list, however, the Daily Mirror, which, by the way, I mean, it's the Daily Mirror, so, you know, whatever. Yeah, what are you expecting? but the Daily Mirror awarded the film two stars and reviewer David Edwards stated it was, in quotes, a bit of a wreck. Whoa! I uh. think that I, and, and by the way, that's the only negative review listed in the reception section on the Wikipedia page for it, so um, I haven't obviously gone through and read all the negative reviews for Wreck 2. Not that there are a ton of them, but there are a few. And uh, I, I'm just going to assume that that's kind of the nature of them. Just th- this snarky, condescending, bullshit critical tone that just has to hate on a sequel to a successful and well acclaimed horror movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, the pervasiveness of witticism in film criticism is it's unquantifiable almost. I mean, it's just it's just everywhere, and it's part part of the, I mean, films. It's Actually, your websites like Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes are, are sort of part of this problem because it's always like, Okay, let's cut what out the, the one thing yeah. that sums up the review. So everyone's looking for that big snappy line and they can say, you know, what's what is this what, what is my review trying to say? And rather than making it something really pointed like the first line from, uh-huh. from Empire, you get more of the other end. Yeah. It was a wreck. I mean I mean
1: it's it's not like this didn't exist before with movie poster and DVD covers.
0: Yeah, of course that like, too.
1: That did. I mean, that that had the same effect. But I feel like Rotten Tomatoes has really, really expanded uh, how recurring this is because, like, every single review that's going to be featured on Rotten Tomatoes, I feel like there's just a little bit of pressure to go. Okay, we got to have that one line. What's the quote that they're going to pull for the Rotten Tomatoes review? And God, no one should ever be writing with that mindset.
0: No, you really shouldn't. In fact, some of my I, I've thought of some of my best reviews that I've looked back on uh, that have been published on like Game Revolution and places like that. I'm like, this is a really good review, and then I think like, then I look at what the quote they pulled out on Metacritic. And I was like, wow, my my review's not really quotable. And it's like, well, in that in that same that's, traditional witty way, and I'm like, that's not good. a bad thing. <laughs> no, you want that. Trust me. Yeah, I mean. Um- <laughs> on the subject of reviews, though, this movie really hasn't been reviewed all that often. It has it, 13 it's reviews on Metacritic, and that sort of lends itself to the idea that I pitched at the beginning, that no one really talks about Wreck 2. No one's really seen Wreck 2. So if you can get out there and see Wreck 2, I strongly suggest it. And if you're some of our many Spanish listeners, I recommend you buy the awesome box set of Wreck and Wreck 2 on Blu-ray, which I can't buy. Um, yeah, I mean, can can we import it? Well, yeah, but it's region two, so who we'll gives to... a
1: shit? I'll fucking do it. I love these movies. Um, so uh, okay, so let's just contextualize *Wreck* two, uh, in, in terms of uh, I, I guess in terms of its place in the plot of the *Wreck* series. So it's it, it basically it virtually takes place in you know right after the events of the original *Wreck*, right? They're sending in, uh, they're sending in crews of, uh, of I keep wanting to say CDC, but they're obviously not. It's obviously a different organization. Um, But uh, uh, people to go in and uh, uh, get some blood from...
0: uh, Oh, wait. I think I know it. It's the Ministry of Health.
1: The Ministry of Health. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Great. That sounds... God damn it, this is offensive. I was like, it sounds like something from Harry Potter.
0: (laughs) that sounds like uh, foreign like european or something
1: sounds like <laughs> some european fruity shit <laughs> anyway <laughs> um uh so Rec two pretty much takes place immediately after the original um where uh uh troops from the depart from the ministry of health are uh, going in to retrieve a sample of blood from uh tristana the little girl who well not a little girl anymore who ba- the, the the final demonic scary person from the original wreck, um, in order to sort of better understand her, the nature of her weird rabies, like demonic disease. Um, and, uh, along with them is, uh, Dr. Owen, who, uh, uh, is eventually, uh, revealed to be a priest. And, uh, so basically wreck two, uh, follows these, uh, these men, Going back into the apartment and, uh, you know, trying to uh, basically survive while they get a sample of this blood. Um, and it, it, the whole aesthetic is so much different because the, the camera work really does come off like something more from uh, a, a first person video game or fuck, even at times, um, I, this is going to sound lofty, and I, I know it's probably a bit of an exaggeration, <laughs> but almost like something that Emmanuel Lubetsky would film. Like, really. <laughs> no, I, I'm serious. It
0: no, was, I get it, yeah.
1: It was some great single-shot cinematography. Um, and really, I think that carries over to everything in REC 2. I think just about every element from the original Wreck is brought to fruition here. It, it This feels more cinematic. It feels just that much better directed. It feels more unique in how it uh uh you know and and how it develops its suspense and horror it's got more memorable shots even earlier in the movie like with this blood-soaked soldier just staring at you from down the hallway Ugh. it it is i mean i fuck it's just a, an improvement in every conceivable way that i can think of from the original wreck um it, it's more of a it's more of a cinematic experience than the original wreck, which i i think that like i said i really feel like maybe the weakness of of wreck, which like i said is not it really didn't kill it that much for me because this is just kind of the nature of the found footage genre but it's it like did,
0: cracks in the surface of a yeah
1: exactly really it, strong core i i didn't feel like it did enough to distinguish itself as a found footage movie in terms of its presentation like i said i think the performances were standout the atmosphere was really tense and claustrophobic um you know as a as a film it was it was phenomenal but the element of presentation I thought was a little lacking and, you know, kind of typical of your run-of-the-mill, uh, uh, you know, run-of-the-mill found footage movie, albeit with a few phenomenal caveats like the you know, like the body falling down the stairwell. Um, Wreck 2 completely overhauls its filming style and makes it so much more elegant, a lot more uh, – It's a lot slicker. A lot slicker and – I mean, fuck. I I mean, I lost count of how many memorable shot compositions there were, even just in like, even just in, in scenes where characters are just talking to each other. Not even necessarily any horror set piece moments, but just mm. uh, it, you know, if you it, you know, just in, in terms of in a single shot going from a two to a three shot, um, and you know where ca- where characters are positioned, how they orient themselves in front of the camera, how they'll move you know toward and away from the lens. Um, I mean. Uh, seriously, uh, well, elements of phenomenal filmmaking here.
0: And I want to point out the that it's almost serendipitous that we start this podcast with what is po- possibly the most invisible use of found footage I've seen right. over the years, and we end with the most overt. And yes, it's it's overt in all the best ways that it really wants to. Really, it, it, they ask themselves the question, "What can you do with found footage?" And then they search. They spent eighty-five minutes. Searching for the answer and like, providing the answer. I, I
1: would say that if the if Blair Witch Project was, and this is, I mean, this is just restating what you just said, but I would, yeah, if Blair Witch is the most raw and unfettered, uh, you know, use of found footage. If it's the most basic, bare bones way that you could possibly present a movie, I, I honestly think Rec Two is the epitome of how to how to elegantly present. A found footage movie where it's still clearly, uh, you know, given that aesthetic premise, this is still definitely found footage. It's not, it, it's not trying to skirt the rules of it at all. But it's, I mean, it's got some of the most uh, like, it, like it's somehow it, it does what um, I've really only ever seen done elsewhere. In like, have you ever seen The Raid or Raid Two?
0: Yeah, yeah, those are great movies. It,
1: yeah, so those aren't found footage, but. I mean, some of the shots really do remind me of that, where it's both, like, flowing and elegant and really fast and tense. I mean, um, by the
0: way, those those two movies are directed by uh, Gareth Evans, not to be confused with Gareth not, Edwards. Not
1: Gareth Edwards. But,
0: uh, but Gareth Evans also directed Safe Haven, the short we didn't watch. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh, fuck. Now I want to watch it, because I love both those movies.
0: Yeah, you should. It's really good. <laughs> oh,
1: oh, fuck. Okay. But, I mean, do, do, I, I feel like uh, I feel like I'm not totally in the wrong in bringing that up as a comparison because some of these shots do do really remind me of how the raid presented its action uh, you know like i said not identical but uh, you know in terms of that like really you know brilliant attention to composition and flow and uh speed all at the same time uh i think it's on par and that requires some really top-notch direction and i think that that's where fear 2 oh my god two, i'm sorry fear, revisited. Two fear yeah. revisited
0: i don't think that's his actual subtitle it was just on the uh,
1: i think that's just yeah i know the, 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 the uh the file i have right here says "Fear Revisited." so <laughs> fear 2 is a pretty good video game though <laughs> oh i believe it um but yeah i i think that's where it really uh stands out uh if with its presentation in a way that Wreck 1, uh, I think, was maybe a little lacking, while at the same time not... I, I don't think it sacrifices anything that Wreck 1 had in spades. I, I think it has all of the... I think it has all of the upsides of the original and none of the down, which, I mean, like I said, like the one downside uh, and not even, like, like you said, cracks in the surface. Um, I, I think it resolves its one flaw and just kicks everything up to 11.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's the one thing you're going to notice about this movie. This movie is like... This is traveling at 60 miles an hour, at least. Like, it starts at 60. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which makes it a really intense, as you said earlier, I think, cinematic experience. You know, it, it, I would have loved to have been able to see this movie in theaters. Me too. Yeah. Would been, oh, that would have been... Oh, it would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: I, I do think it's important to point out, like, you know, because our number one complaint about sequels, uh, the, the other sequels we've talked about so far, is that they... They don't really seem to share values with the original movie. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of have a different mission statement. Um, I think what's interesting about about wreck too is that it does expand on the mythology of the first movie, but at the same time, I really feel like it, it does that incidentally. I don't feel like that was the purpose of this movie being made. I feel like it's still like just more than anything, it wanted to express the the claustrophobia and the anxiety of being in these enclosed tight spaces that the original wreck was also kind of looking at. It it didn't really have as much of a human element, whereas like, you know, uh, you know, where wreck one was, it it was much more about the residents in this apartment building and, and, you know, kind of watching their little, you know, sub society slowly crumble. Uh, Wreck two doesn't, doesn't really put the focus as much on that. But in terms of conveying these, in terms of the emotions it's trying to convey I feel like it, it does align itself with the original wreck pretty neatly
0: well, so I can sort of give like a perfect example of that yeah and that's both expanding on the mythology but not really making that its centerpiece and so later later in the movie they're trying to the whole time they're trying to find the this girl you mentioned this Tristana Medeiros. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. um and they get to the they get to the point where it's like oh she's in the attic but they're like no no, she's not in the attic we were just there but this this uh possessed you know zombie is insisting that there that she is there and what turns out is that they need night vision to mm-hmm. see her so yeah. because she's been like cast in uh, in darkness is what they like a prison of darkness i think is what the what owen the, ma- the main doctor character says yeah and it's like oh okay she's been cast in a prison of darkness well, and, of and they say that
1: the light blinds them from seeing the path
0: yeah, yeah. So I mean, and and that yes, you're expanding on the mythology, but that's not the point. The point is of to now pull you, off a very brilliant conceit to terrify you. Right now, you have to do it in the dark. <laughs> yeah, and it's awesome, and it works both to you know, on a level that it terrifies the audience and that it terrifies the characters the audience are watching. So it works on so many levels, and yeah. it's not just because oh, we really want to find out where this demon came from. That's kind of what's funny is that I feel like,
1: um, you know, an American horror se- like, like like an American production company would be perfectly happy with Wreck Two because it it does, I mean, it, it does kind of enfranchise the ideas in the original Wreck. It does make this a more specific kind of you know zombie story or a more specific kind of possession story. it it, it makes it its own. It, it gives it its own franchise identity, but you don't feel like you know it, the goal was not to then create a wreck franchise the goal was to find new ways to, like you said to scare the pants off you um, <laughs> and yeah I feel like that, that is its own that requires its own kind of genius
0: It's Wait, not, this, it's this not, movie this is a rare horror sequel that is still has the the hand of the director in it you know I mean not just in it the, the original directors both returned and they, they wrote it as well so you know they're they're, you get the sense that this is the movie they sincerely want to be making as a right. follow-up to, to the movie that put them on the map. They're like, great, this did well. Now we really get to go for it. Now we and, can have more fun.
1: I get the sense that they are having fun as filmmakers in here. In yeah,
0: this. I mean, and they're doing stuff with found footage. They're, they're using, like, body cams, and you can, like, cut in, like, other other people's viewpoints into the main screen so and they're using multiple different cameras from different from different groups that are oh, coming yeah, in at different times they'll, throughout they'll, the movie. yeah
1: they're more yeah they're more playful it'll pop up at a corner of the screen and then it'll blow up to the entire uh you know to the entire uh, oh my god to the entire screen and you get to see that character's perspective. then it'll cut back and like they can still have fun with cross-cutting they don't they don't this, they don't keep to the rigid rules of just raw, down and dirty found footage. They have more fun with it, but at the same time, they never violate their own rules. It's, it's.
0: And, and this is the, and the point cool. I, I was trying to make earlier that this movie definitely knows. Like it's not, it's not trying to. To trick you anymore. This is the first Found Footage movie in a long time that I feel like has stopped trying to trick us into believing that Found Footage is real. You know? (laughs) Um, Everyone is trying to sort of trying to capture that spirit, or in Blair Witch's in in Blair Witch, the 2016 Blair Witch, they're trying to avoid being Found Footage. (laughs) Um,
1: Right.
0: So they're just like actually saying look, everyone's in on it. Everyone knows that Found Footage is, you know, BS, so to speak. Yeah let's let's use it for for exactly that and make it work better. That's
1: true. and i I do wonder if that, oh man, I mean, I don't think we could have structured this this episode better because we are because like you said, we're literally starting with the both the first major found footage success uh, and also that it, the you know the most unfettered. And then we're ending with I think what might be the future of successful found footage movies. I think it might be the uh, almost like a I don't know kind of in the same way that ho- that mainstream horror kind of went postmodern I feel like I feel like maybe found footage will too where y- it's no longer trying to suspend your disbelief it is using found footage as a device to get certain shots or maybe to, as an excuse to do long takes or something like that but it'll um, it'll deliberately stylize itself. I think that that might, I, you know, that might be the future of found footage because I, I feel like, um, you know, because like I said, watching Blair Witch today, Blair Witch Project today, excuse me, I need to clarify that, um, it's still very effective. I was surprised at how, uh, uh, you know, how little that movie strained believability and how effective that ultimately made it.
0: And I also want to be clear um, before you move on that oh, yeah, you, yeah. you mean today as a general term, not that you literally watch Blair Witch Project no. today. No, I mean, contemporarily. Yes yeah
1: (laughs) okay james you caught me i I hadn't actually watched anything before today and i (laughs) cranked everything in 15 minutes before the podcast
0: great it's basically
1: like like neo in the matrix um uh uh but like i said so I, i think that movie still works but i do want because i i don't see anyone ever making a movie that convincing again uh, a found footage movie that convincing again. No one's going to go through that much effort. No one's going to go th- to that degree of viral marketing. And it would even work
0: if they did. It you know, We're smarter and we more tech savvy as a society.
1: Right. We know now. We know too much. And so that's never going to happen again. That's gone. And that, that makes, I mean, to me, that makes the Blair Witch Project all the more special. But what's left, I think that Rec 2 kind of points the way to where it can go in the future.
0: And it sucks because you know you're you're right, but this movie also came out seven years ago, and we're still left with and found still, footage bullshit.
1: We still have the, have the current Blair Witch, um, yeah. So I, who knows? But I, I'm just saying. I, I think uh, I think anyone, any directors out there who are looking to see what Q can really do with it, I think Rec Two is is the perfect place to start. Yeah, I mean, and
0: it's, as, this isn't just for directors. I want everyone to see this. Scream this movie from the mountaintops. Yeah. It's great. Yeah.
1: And also, it is... I think it's got maybe an even more effective uh, final... Or or at least a more disturbing final uh, section than mm-hmm. I think the
0: Wreck did. It. Yeah, it, no, it's, it is disturbing, and, which, and it, it's and also... It actually,
1: it actually is. It does also incorporate the, the shot from the original uh, Wreck finale, but uh adds a bit more to it. <laughs> yeah. I don't I really don't want to spoil that one. It's, no, not at all. I'm not I'm not going well, to. I'm not gonna it. do that. But uh it's delightfully disgusting.
0: Alright, and now for our review of seven. Oh I was
1: <laughs> I was gonna say now for a review of uh quarantine two terminal.
0: Terminal <laughs> Straight to D V D. Uh Straight to D V D release, yes. How the, do we, was this, not a shot-for-shot shot remake of Rec Two.
1: Unfortunate. Yeah. Okay. So yes, here's another fundamental difference between Rec. I, mean, I know we're winding down, but just here's another fundamental difference between Rec One and Rec Two. Rec One, someone can do a shot-by-shot shot remake of Rec One. No one is going to do a shot-by-shot shot remake of Rec Two unless they're just insanely talented.
0: Yeah. No. This there's a lot of talent that went into this. A lot of chops by the director. I mean, this is. This was not thrown together. This was particularly directed and carefully constructed.
1: I, I keep trying to find different words, but honestly, a first-person shooter by the devil is pretty... is is he, it hits the nail on the head.
0: Yeah, they did it, you know? <laughs> he did it. That's it. Yeah. Um, good night, uh, everybody. Good night. Uh, well, speaking of good night, this actually is not the first time... Is, I mean, up, this yeah. is a, pretty much the first time, I should say, where we're not finishing a podcast at like 1 a.m granted just, we're recording a few days later but still
1: uh, i mean look look come on this was what seven movies we did seven movies seven movies just yeah. seven fucking movies
0: which is why this is going to be like at least two and a half hours so <laughs>
1: uh, but we did it james
0: we fucking did it no and this is a gr- i'm stoked on this episode i am, too. Uh,
1: I am too um Yeah, it turns out, and I have to say, you know, because we're, you know, I I I feel like uh, I feel like this is the I learned something today. Part of our podcast, um, (laughs) I did learn something today. I not and again not today meaning just today. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) um, I do think that there's a lot more to found footage than I gave it credit for. Um, I think that there are. I think of I I still think that the bulk of of Films I see that use it as a technique underutilize it, mm-hmm. but I also feel like I've really uh, I've become more aware of its potential, and um, and I've also just seen like because I I think Wreck Two represents its potential. I think Blair Witch represents why it was important in the first place. But but Blair Witch Project is like I mean that that's like a lost paradise. That's that's Paradise Lost. That is we are too we are too cynical and doubtful as a society to ever have the Blair Witch project again, but I'm happy we have the one we have. Um, And yeah, I, I would love to see, uh, I I would love to see a really strong director take on found footage. I would love to, you know what I would love? I would Mm. love to see Alfonso Cuaron direct (laughs) a found footage horror film shot by Emmanuel Lubetzky. I think you would get something, you would get something not too far away from from rec two or at least in terms of how it's presented
0: definitely yeah um no i feel i feel like found footage as a as a whole you could look at you know there's there's a discussion i think i can't remember who said it, maybe it was like james madison when he was talking about like r- people's rights like free speech and stuff that that there's going right. to be these noxious <laughs> branches in my in my mind the whole tree is noxious of found footage but there are some really good branches
1: yeah, there you go <laughs> yeah. so um it's it's hard because it's by nature a, a a subgenre that straddles the line between legitimate uh you know le- legitimate aesthetic style and a gimmick mm-hmm. and uh it, it's obviously not necessarily a gimmick but i feel like more often than not that's what it's used as um so
0: and if anything it, we've it, showed you that that's a damn shame
1: it's a damn shame and and th- that's the thing though it's it's something that's basically having to be reinvented every single new movie that comes out because anytime it's done successfully it's been done and then any film that kind of follows in that uh, that emulates that initial groundbreaking movie is just retreading the same ground it's it's just it's more difficult because you're constantly having to reinvent it (sighs) so yeah great I, i do too um and also i am just forever thankful that you uh Told me to watch Wreck and Wreck 2.
0: Yeah, I know. You've introduced
1: me to two of my new favorite horror films of all time.
0: I'm ecstatic about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, fucking loved it. And actually, now I want to check out VHS, uh, particularly the uh, segments directed by... uh, Gareth Evans. Gareth Evans,
0: Gareth Evans, the director of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story.
1: Yeah. No, no. (laughs) Well, at least I didn't mistake uh, Gareth Edwards for... uh, uh, (laughs)
0: Josh Trank. No, no Colin I, Trevorrow.
1: Colin Trevorrow, thank you. Yeah. yeah.
0: You did it.
1: <laughs> did it hooray. Next time, Mike won't mess up Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise.
0: <laughs> You've been really good about that. I don't <laughs> even think it came oh up God, once. I just in thought you did
1: a Tom Hanks movie last time and I don't think I screwed it up once.
0: Yeah, no, I actually went through the recording I, I didn't I don't remember you doing that once. So Ooh, yes. man. Doing so much better. Anyways, man, it was a really, really long show this week, but man, it's probably one of my favorite episodes. If I, if I tell someone to listen to one episode, it's going to be this one. Um, so it's going to be just a disappointment from here on out. We're never going to be able to meet this, and so you can pretty much just stop listening to us now. Uh, yeah, so we're probably going to do Birth of a Nation or Girl of the Train next week, or maybe both.
1: <laughs> maybe there'll be a perfect dialogue for one another. Who knows? Yeah,
0: maybe we'll have another a whole other themed episode that perfectly that goes from the girl on the train and ends with birth of a nation creating this long beautiful chain but probably not probably not no so thank you for listening